You better be listening to Slezoids or I must break you. Listen now of a time long past when sorcery thrived and wild adventure was forever in the offing. A deadly sorcerer is called out of nightmare by a ruthless king driven into evil from a place beyond time comes a terrifying challenge beyond imagination two men join forces in a struggle for power in a realm of fear Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise, and at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Next week, we are going samurai mindset mode, and probably not in the way that you think right now. So uh, join the sleeves. Find out why. That's right. Uh, we also decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an honor shout out and two bonus episodes every single month, uh, which we have been doing for many years now. There's like 150 plus bonus episodes as well as our bonus transmission series where we talk about new release uh, genre films. And there is going to be some fun January trash to talk about soon. I don't think Jamie got to see The Beekeeper yet. Oh, I'm not excited yet. for Jamie yeah, to I, see The Beekeeper. I can't wait. I, lo- <laughs> I love a good Jason Statham actioner that just is mindless and fun. So I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. You will also be blown away by the uh, third act escalation <laughs> that that film has. So I'm very excited for cool. Jamie to check it out. Um, but so we're going to be talking about stuff like that soon. Again, patreon.com slash podcast for anyone interested in all of those uh, bonus episodes. And speaking of which, we did have quite a few people make the jump this week. So we're going to give them their shout outs here. We had uh, Andrew Ross sign up at $5 a month. We had Justin Miller. We had Christian Flynn. Uh, we had La Tortuga. Uh, we had Moderately Cold sign up for uh, $10 a month and is going to be joining us for the monthly virtual uh, screening, which we do on the last Thursday of any given month. And by the time you guys are listening to this, we would have done the one for Virtuosity yeah. uh, to go along with our uh, Denzel Ricochet ch- uh, talk because we couldn't get enough. Uh, so... <laughs> Thanks for joining us for that. Uh, we had Harrison Ferger uh, sign up at $5 a month. We had Scott uh, sign up, uh, Raphael Franca. We had Lawson Sumler, Mackenzie Parvin, Sample Hauser, Connor, and last but not least, Nick M. So thanks so much to all of you folks for signing up. We appreciate that support and hope you're enjoying all those bonus episodes. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, the other plug for the week, as always, is uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're listening on either one of those platforms, and I can see the stats, I can see you right now listening on both those platforms. Give us a good old rating and review over there. It helps us climb the ranks and find new listeners, and we appreciate that support as well. And then the last plug, as always, is merch. If you like the poster art that Based of Toronto horror artist Trevor Henderson did for our show, you can get that put on basically anything that you can think of. A hoodie a notebook, a pillow, a coffee mug. You guys have bought lots of stuff, and the link to that is at uh, the description of this episode as well as over at sleezoidspodcast.com for anyone who's interested in that. But that is it for the intro. Welcome back to another week. As always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me also, as always, is my co-host, Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. 
Welcome. I believe two weeks ago would have been the last time you folks over here on the main feed would have heard from us and we would have had special returning guest Meg Shields uh, back on the show to discuss some Jack the Ripper, very strange Jack the Ripper themed genre movies. Uh, We talked Peter Medex, two and a half hour, dryly (laughs) absurd satire turned by the end, like basically borderline horror film about British aristocracy is a little film called The Ruling Class from 1972 starring Peter O'Toole as both Jesus Christ and Jack the Ripper. It was yeah. uh, wild. Yeah, that movie was a lot to take in. It, it goes many, many different places, but um, I I, it, I really want to retackle that thing. It, it, it's very, very funny, but I, I spent so much time just being um, absolutely taken back by the, by the whole experience. So. <laughs> yeah, if you hate rich British people, uh, that is the uh, movie for you. Uh, and we also paired it with uh, Roadhouse director Rowdy Harrington's debut film, the neon synth L.A. copycat serial killer procedural uh, film Jack's Back from 1988, starring James Spader in like a Jean-Claude Van Damme like twin role yes. and doing like full on manhunter voyeur thriller kind of uh style sequences including jumping through a glass window in slow-mo to take down a jack the ripper copycat killer (laughs) yeah yeah and i mean what more can you ask for double james spader i just that is uh, that's a sell every single time yep so if you haven't heard that episode that was uh two weeks ago over on the main feed with meg go back and go check it out uh, but last week over on the Patreon feed, uh, we were we had some thriller mindset and we talked about two of maybe the sleaziest, most sadistic <laughs> 90s VHS era cat and mouse thrillers we've ever talked about on this show. We talked about uh, Highlander director Russell Mulcahy's absolutely deranged cop and cook <laughs> crook uh, revenge movie Ricochet from 1991 starring Denzel Washington and John Lithgow which features one of the most vile and elaborate villain plans we've ever talked about. <laughs> yeah and uh, Lithgow actually threatens a man's uh, dog with sexual assault in, in, the, in, <laughs> in the movie so it, just, it is truly one of the most yep. unhinged things I've ever seen and I'm and I thank the 90s for it. We can't even give a short descriptor of the plot of that movie other than that like you're just going to have to trust us that those are things you're, you're interested in, in hearing about and, and watching. Exactly. Um, and uh, we paired that film with Matthew Bright's very crude kind of modern trailer trash take on Little Red Riding Hood, a little movie called Freeway from 1996, starring Reese Witherspoon as this like trash talking, southern accented, <laughs> like juvenile delinquent version of of Red who's trying to get to her grandma's place and Kiefer Sutherland as the big, bad pedophile serial killer <laughs> wolf that she berates for 90 percent of the movie. <laughs> yeah, that, that is something that's funny is that it turns the majority of it is just her bullying uh, Kiefer Sutherland, which is fantastic, and I loved every minute of it. It, it. Reese Witherspoon is truly hilarious in that film, and I would highly recommend one of it her just best for performances. That comedic performance, yeah, it's very funny. Yeah. So if you haven't heard that episode, patreoncom slash Podcast. Once again, that was last week's bonus episode. 
but moving on to this week, we have a very special guest joining us uh, for the first time, a supposed avid listener of the show, uh, he, he, he tells us, but also, but we, we almost didn't believe him because he's like, well, this guy's like a, he's a real deal. He's a real writer. He's a director. He's a showrunner whose most recent animated television show, Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, actually just won the Critics' Choice Award for Best Animated Series of 2023, which is oh, that's awesome. know, huge. Congratulations to Mr. Ben David Gorbinski. Ben, how you doing? Uh, I'm really happy to be here and really bummed that we're not talking about Jack's back. Uh, that movie is so good. Um, oh, I mean, yeah. obviously, I, I listened to the Ricochet. And I think Free you pick some good White stuff. One. Though. You know, don't be too down yeah, on yourself here. Uh, well, it's funny because I, I, w- I just listened to Ricochet and um, Freeway, and I think one of the first things I mentioned he was possibly Highlander two for today. Um, <laughs> but I haven't listened to your Jack's back one yet. But that movie completely melted my brain when I watched <laughs> on Prime a couple years ago, not knowing it was going to be what it was. Um, yeah. Any movie where like the lead character dies very quickly and then his twin brother shows up is always good <laughs> to investigate um, the murder and also be the suspect. <laughs> Unbelievably unpredictable, high quality. So I can't wait to listen to that one. Yeah. Yeah. So well, well, well welcome uh, to the show. I, I will say, I uh, it, it it you know it, it it having you on inspired me to actually go and 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 watch your show. And I want, did want to give you some genuine congratulations on on uh, Scott Pilgrim because uh, yeah. you know we are both Toronto video game and film nerds. So obviously you know <laughs> we we have a little bit of a of, of a connection to that. And I could not believe when I was watching that show that no, young Neil was referencing David Cronenberg's Crash. I was like, what universe am I? living in where this happens <laughs> yeah it's funny you could think that i was like pandering to letterboxd view, uh users with that character but it's not it's just i decided to make the dumbest person on the show so kind of like <laughs> me because um, if you are going to do that you might as well do it in that direction uh but everything i've made has had that cronenberg for president shirt in it and it just felt like young neil becoming a a very bad screenwriter of genre movies uh was an organic choice to make <laughs> as, <laughs> yeah, it was wonderful. as it was but, there yeah. was also a lot of original era tony hawk pro skater music in the show that i did not expect to hear and i was blown away i was so happy yeah uh, i mean that's the real power of uh getting to be in charge is you can just say i'm gonna make an episode that's like the Muppet movie meets adaptation meets Tony Hawk pro skater and all of the songs <laughs> must be from either the Tony Hawk game or an ad campaign for one of the Tony Hawk games. <laughs> and some, and sometimes people just do it. I think that it's, I'm just too annoying to uh, say no to. So it just to kind of <laughs> let it go. I was very happy to hear uh, uh, whatever uh, United States of whatever in one of the episodes that was very fun for me. So Awesome stuff. Yes, I just it, it felt like the only song it could be. If it wasn't that, I would have been in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the the great thing is like you know, it's a show uh, for all ages. So there's like a lot of kids who think that's like a song we made for the show because it's like you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Or that it's something like that Anamanaguchi did, but it's like no, this is just uh, was my favorite song from a billion years ago, and it felt like because I think it was the Tony Hawk Underground commercial, if I remember correctly, that's what they had, it was from uh, where I'd like I first been exposed right. to it. So it just felt organically right. If you're at making a show about a episode about the professional skater, they might as well have all my weird skater references burned Hell into yeah. it. Oh yeah, I love that. That's, that's right. Well, well. Speaking of uh, strange references, 
This is a great segue <laughs> because there is a, an incredible reference that we're going to be talking about in the second movie today that I'm going to tease up front because we're going to probably talk about it for a little bit. But there is a very modern movie Jamie and I are fans of. I think Ben David is also a fan of. I think a lot of our listeners are a fan of that absolutely pulled an insane kill from a little movie we're going to be talking about today. But I'm going to let uh, uh, Ben introduce this double feature as we have the guests do. So, Ben, you know, you obviously listen to the show quite a bit. We, we you know, we... Y- y- Eventually, I knew, you know, you had to have been keeping some movies in your back pocket, you know, to to bring on. So why out the gate is this the double feature today? You know, I'd like to say that there's like a real savvy reasoning behind it. The the accidental thing I stumbled into was I had watched... uh, but I, I was watching Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain, and I was thinking about how much I'd love to program a double of that in Conquest. And then I was thinking, oh, it'd be really cool to play Double of Conquest and Sword and the Sorcerer. And you simultaneously had asked me if I'd be interested <laughs> in doing the show and if I had any ideas for something to discuss. And it became sort of a perfect thing because I'd mentioned those two to you. And then I think you had said that uh, your avid fan base had suggested that exact double before. Right. Yes, because we we do a uh, a bi-monthly Patreon poll where we have them nominate the double features and have them vote on the double features. And there was one month where this double feature actually did make it to the top four. And I think it came like second or third. So we didn't end up doing it. But it was like so it's definitely two movies people have wanted us to talk about and two movies that people have thought about in relation to each other. Well, Conquest is one of my favorite movies. I've been obsessed with it for a very long time. And if I joined Letterboxd on like January 1st of 2021, and I'm telling you that just to give a proper gauge for the insanity, which is that the movie, the director's movies I watch the most is Albert Pune. And I've watched 17 of his movies, I guess, since then. Hell yeah. Hell Um, yeah. So I don't really know how that happened. Part of it was that when he passed, um, I decided to check out the stuff I hadn't seen. Uh, but I'd already been like watching a ton of them anyway. But it just felt to me like if I was going to discuss some really weird movies that were totally my shit, um, this this would be like a pretty good way to go. Absolutely. Well, I was really excited because it's, you know, t- two directors we're talking about today are legends of the show. The yeah. B-movie maestro, Albert Pune, obviously, uh, and the Italian horror god, Lucio Fulci. And, you know, we're doing Sword and Sorcerer from 82 and Conquest from 1983. So it's both of these directors who have no other movie that's really like these doing and both cashing in at the same time on the same trend, which was the 1980s, early 1980s sword and sorcery medieval fantasy uh, film that had a lot of um, sort of cultural cachet post John Borman's Excalibur, which was a huge box office hit. All of a sudden, every studio was interested in this stuff, and so many got made around this time. And uh, obviously, being Albert Pune and being Lucio Fulci, there is, uh, you know, an exceptional amount of gore and fog machines and surreal (laughs) imagery happening. So... (laughs) And I don't want to uh, spoil it because it'll, we'll, we'll discuss it second. But I think both of these are like by far the most interesting of that like kind of ripoff era, like following Conan. Uh, but Conquest, though, is just infinitely the most idiosyncratic, I think, of any of them. I don't think anything else holds a candle to this movie because this movie 
it's just impossible to replicate or even understand mm. exactly what the intention was behind it. And I've seen it like 10 times and I'm going to struggle to discuss some of it. And I'm excited about that. <laughs> no, I, ab- ab- absolutely. We'll, 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 we'll talk about it, but like conquest is like, cause like Excalibur is a great film. We've covered it on the show. There's some more normal sequences in Excalibur and there's some more surreal and insane ones. And it kind of changes between these two modes. Conquest is a movie made up of just the weird scenes. Yeah. J- like the, with no like grounding none of none of the dialogue where people discuss really what's happening <laughs> just all the crazy set pieces back to back to back is is conquest so if anyone hasn't seen lucio fulci's conquest uh you know be be prepared we're going to be talking about it <laughs> a second here but it is it is wild um but they're, uh, they're both yeah. in a way kind of like live action heavy metal in terms of yeah they feel like they're everything a 10 year old wants um from something <laughs> but Pune's in the level absolutely kind of, has the teen boy fantasy aspect a lot yeah and i think that'll be a good way to talk about that movie because it does in a way feel like a movie made for 10 year olds that with like three days before they started shooting someone said what if we made this really r-rated um, yeah, what if yeah. there was lots of what, boobs and <laughs> what year was that <laughs> crazy animated uh, movie heavy metal that what, what year did that come out i want to say that that was like 80 82 81 something like that okay so it was around uh, yeah, 80, this 81. time then because it, it Same feels time. like yeah it feels like it kind of belongs in that realm as as well just the very it juvenile but it has like a mix of uh this medieval fantasy but with a little bit of sci-fi every once in a while as well so it's a uh, it's a fun mix but yeah i think that's uh gonna be gonna be it for the intro here we're gonna jump right into it we're gonna kick things off with albert pune and uh the sword and the sorcerer dungeons and dragons serpents and splendor wizards and witches danger and desire The mightiest of all heroes in the greatest of all adventures. The Sword and the Sorcerer. All right, we are talking The Sword and the Sorcerer, the 1982 Sword and Sorcery, can you believe it? Uh, <laughs> fantasy film written and directed by Albert Pune, co-written by Tom uh, Karnowski and John V. Stuckmeyer, and starring Lee Horsley, Kathleen Beller, Simon uh, McCorkendale, what a name, and Richard uh, Lynch. And uh, it's probably been, I think, what has it been? It's been like a year or two since yeah. we've, we've talked about Pune, right? I feel like it's been actually a little bit. I was, I was really glad someone was interested in 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 bringing him back on, so we can talk about the uh, Hawaiian military brat turned one of the most prolific and ambitious B movie directors of uh, recent memory, who actually just passed away, as Ben David just mentioned in uh, 2022 after a long battle with uh, dementia and MS. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we've covered quite a lot of his diverse filmography on this show. Um, we've done his, uh, forties private eye, like noir pulp meets post nuke 80s neon synth rock opera, uh, yeah. radioactive dreams, which Fantastic. is just one hell of a mouthful to even describe to anyone. <laughs> um, we've done his Jean-Claude Van Damme martial arts, like Mad Max post-apocalypse movie cyborg, which he famously improvised the script for in a weekend repurposing, uh, sets and costumes that Canon built for failed masters of the universe and Spider-Man movies that they lost the rights to. <laughs> 
he was that kind of guy man they were like hey we have all these costumes lying around can you write a movie in a weekend and shoot it in like a week he was like yes yeah um nemesis we we talked about yes i was gonna say his version of like terminator and robocop and johnny mnemonic like cyberpunk Uh, we talked nemesis has matrix Um, qualities too like with their long coats and like everyone's got sunglasses on and just and pre-matrix yeah i think nemesis has Oh, Nemesis objectively has the best VHS box of any movie of the 90s. And if anyone says otherwise, they're wrong. That's I do love it. Yeah, I think it's 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 great. It's a contender for sure. Yeah. And and he made all of these alongside his more sort of like notorious sort of Captain America movie that he's kind of well known for. And and we did a couple of the weirder ones, too. We did like mm-hmm. Dollman, which is the, yeah. a movie where like death wish levels of cartoon gang warfare in the Bronx is ended by an intergalactic alien Dirty Harry who is like 12 inches tall. Which is yeah. And there is movie. there is some cool effects in it. Like there's some good miniature work and they kind of composite him in scenes to make him look smaller. Um, kind of like the the shrinking man, the incredible shrinking man that we've seen uh, yes. talked about on the show as well. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and, and, it's pretty and, cool. And I think the last one was dangerously close, right? The uh, yeah, that the, like high like school 80s. mystery thriller. Yeah, where it was like eighties MTV stylized like high school movie that he almost makes into this like young adult like emo noir. That was yeah. uh, you know he he kind of had some problems with the ending, but you know it was it was pretty cool to uh, to to see. But but obviously Ben, you've seen seventeen pewns. So what's <laughs> uh, what's what's your relationship to his work, and do you have a favorite there that we haven't mentioned? Yeah. I mean, I don't have like a favorite that you haven't mentioned. I think that Nemesis is always going to be my favorite of his movies because it's fucking incredible. Mm -hmm. I think it's maybe my favorite like no budget action sci-fi movie ever. I mean, there's some that like I really like that people have not seen. Like I like Body Smasher a lot. Um, It's like a very low rent kind of big trouble in little China kind of energy with Andrew Dice Clay and Terry Hatcher, um, where he plays like so he plays like a cooler sort of like Swayze and Roadhouse who uh, works as a bouncer at LA bars and his nickname is the brain smasher because he punches people in the head <laughs> if they get out of line. Um, and it's called brain smasher, a love Hell story yeah. because it becomes a buddy kind of chasing a MacGuffin adventure with Terry Hatcher. And then the two of them fall in love. And, um, I think, uh, Chad Stahelski, I, I probably got his name wrong because I am not prepared for anything, uh, plays a lot, does a lot of the stunts in it. It's a really fun movie. Um, mean Guns is really awesome uh, with Christopher Lambert and Ice-T. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys have seen that one, where basically there was a prison yes, that was going to open in L.A. One. And like a week and a half before it was going to open, somehow I guess Albert convinced them to let him shoot there as a location. So he like wrote a movie that takes place in a prison, but they couldn't use squibs or blanks. And it's a gigantic shootout movie where like Ice-T puts all of his enemies in one place and then gives them a bunch of guns. And it's like whoever is alive at the end wins. Uh, and the f- shootouts in it are like yeah. pretty great. Um, awesome movie. I'm going to... Yeah, it's, I, it's I basically could go his version of like a heroic bloodshed movie but scored entirely to mambo music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that detail. And I yeah. actually just watched uh, Adrenaline for the first time, um, which I thought was really awesome. It really felt like his Resident Evil. And then uh, when I wrote that as like uh, my dumb review, uh, 
people who had liked it, I looked at their reviews and they the exact thing was Albert Pune's Resident Evil. That's just the thing that people are saying. And I don't and I thought I was being really clever. Uh, I was not it's an observation again. a lot of people have made. Yeah. Um, but the I, 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 I like that you brought nice. up Stahelski, too. Yeah, because Stahelski, Stahelski's very first credit, if anyone's interested, is Knights. Oh, so okay. Pune fucking discovered the John Wick guy. That's why <laughs> you got to You got to lay credit to him, man. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe I missed this one because it has uh, Henriksen as well, and I love Henriksen. I mean, it is a wire foo, if that's even a term that people have used since 1999, um, robot western uh, with Chris Christopherson. And yep. it is so awesome. And if you're not going to take the time to watch it, you can at least go to YouTube and find they have a bunch of all the fight scenes and they're really fun. And he clearly was inspired by like a lot of Hong Kong movies that no one had seen here yet. So he made a direct to video movie that was impossible for people to parse. Um, but it really holds up, I think. That's awesome. I, yeah. I'm going to check that out soon. So Pian, it was obviously an incredibly prolific B-movie director. He made so many movies in his career. He loved making movies. Part of what I love so much about his movies is just they are a pure expression of like a geeky genre film nerd. And there's so much passion behind them. There's so much like, mm -hmm. I just want to make a movie. I, you know, we'll talk about some of the, uh, when we get into Sword and Sorcerer here, we'll talk about that. He had that entire movie um, storyboarded, like before he even shopped the script around because he was just so excited about the idea of making it and pitching it and I mean he would even in his living facility in like his last weeks of his life he was still working on movies on his computer and despite the fact mm. that you know he was experiencing memory loss and was struggling because he wouldn't remember some decisions he made and on his movies and stuff like that it was really sad he was still working and he was still trying to get movies made and like he just yeah. you know he's a genuine outsider artist he frequently worked with zero resources and was able to get way more out of them than people do with like 20 times the amount that he was working with. And he threw everything into his movies. And today we are going to be obviously talking about his uh, debut box office success that got him this uh, long and eventually sort of troubled B-movie and direct-to-video career that, that, that he enjoyed. But The Sword and Sorcerer um, is uh, his, his very first movie. It was a movie that he actually kind of had already prepped before this trend kind of took off, before Excalibur came out. And it just so happened that all of a sudden, you know, people were interested in the same thing. They just the, the stars aligned, the zeitgeist matched with his own vision and this movie that he had written about a, uh, which I'll briefly describe here as a, a mercenary named Talon who wields a three bladed projectile broadsword, <laughs> a, a weapon I cannot wait to talk about, uh, who, uh, according to the, the log line here, rediscovers his royal bloodline heritage when he is recruited to help a princess foil, a brutal tyrant and a powerful sorcerer's plans to conquer the land. So as you can tell, probably if you haven't seen it, it's a pretty standard plot for the trendy wave of medieval fantasy pulp that was greenlit in the wake of um, Excalibur yes. alongside movies we've covered like Conan the Barbarian by John Milius and The Beastmaster is another example of something that came out in this era. Yeah. But Pion does tackle this with a lot of, you know, uh, low budget charm and am ambition. And there are some parts of it we'll get into that are a bit goofy and a bit janky. And even, <laughs> you know, b just because of the way the genre is a little dull at times. It, I mean, it was his first time ever directing a movie. You know, you can't blame him entirely. Uh, but there is also some 
actual just incredible stuff on display. Some of the makeup effects that are included yeah. in this are well beyond what it's budgeted at. And uh, there is just some very juvenile and uh, uh, adventurous tone to the entire movie about a guy who's clearly just excited to make a movie and realize all of these storyboarded visions that he was kind of so passionate about that does eventually kind of take over the movie for us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, I mean, right away, it, he sets a mood really well where you just have the, the guys finding the cave because they're uh, looking for, um, uh, what is the, the how do you say it? It's Zuzia? Uh, is the, <laughs> the demon, I believe? Or? Uh, Zusha. 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 Yes. Um, they basically he's this this evil king that is is looking to take over uh, uh, Aiden, I believe, which is like the richest kingdom in the world. Um, and so he's making a, a deal with the devil. And just the way that that Pyun, uh directs this and, and sets the tone is awesome. It's like in this red cave where this uh, this demon is being born by this boiling blood. Um, and this like uh, it just comes out of the thick liquid and 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 starts uh, y- you know talking to them um, with this like incredibly deep guttural voice. It's 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 a great mood setter and I, I love it. Yeah. It's by far the best scene in the movie, which is really the only issue with it. Is like I kind of <laughs> wish they'd saved that room for the end. The the effects of the heads on there and everything. It just, oh, yeah. the lighting is beautiful. It's so atmospheric. And on the first, like when I started watching it in 4K, I was like, I hadn't seen this in a long time. I'm like, is this like the best movie ever made? And no, it's <laughs> not. But I think if the whole movie was as good as that scene, it probably could be. It's yeah. just yeah. such a great, it's like the the high level of execution there. But the funny thing is when you see that character a couple minutes later, like out in daylight, you're like, oh, yeah, this entire movie should take place in the dark with moody lighting because then all the effects look incredible. Like they aren't really designed to be seen, you know, at noon <laughs> with every sort of light imaginable hitting it. It is. It's funny you say that, too, because like the scene, not directly after it, but but almost directly after it is when Cromwell is talking to uh Azusha again, but outside, and you can see kind of the makeup, which is still fun because it's you know he's got the the demon makeup on and everything. But just seeing him in the bright daylight at noon is not the same effect it has when he's in the the red lit lit cave and the blood is dripping off of him and all of that. Um, so there are some 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 funny contrasts here and there. Uh, no, well, sure, I, I, we'll talk about it. But there's there's some like tonal and mood shifts in the movie that are a yeah. bit uh, strange. I'll, I'll, a little bit messy, a little bit like first filmmaker, like throwing it at the wall and he doesn't care, you know, necessarily that things kind of fit together and it just kind of, you know, he's he's going for it, which I really appreciate. But the mood he does strike in the opening when they're describing, even the narration is very Conan the Barbarian where they're at that, you know, the, at the far edge of the world, you know, in this on this like misty, stormy island where, as Jamie mentioned, Titus Cromwell, which great name. Um, yeah played by uh, Richard Lynch, who is dressed up to look like almost like a blonde Caesar. He just has that like air of assholishness that comes with that. Um, and, and it's him and his robed men. And it's very musky and torch lit. And they want to summon this black magic power of this ancient dead sorcerer of uh, Zusha uh, in order to, as he puts it, to dominate and overthrow his political rivals in the otherwise wondrous kingdom of Adon, 
you know, and, and I love that so much of this is discussed like in overt narration. It's, it's such <laughs> yeah. like uh, Pyun like read those like fantasy like pulp paperback kind of deal. It has that kind of uh, tone to it. But uh, yeah, as as Ben was saying, like the tomb itself is fucking sick. The stone collage of like the dead faces and souls that like come to gruesome life as they summon him into reanimation and the sorcerer makeup with which R- Richard Mole is playing and uh, is underneath. How like acidically like melty it all is and how yeah. he's like this essentially this like clawed demon devil that's like telepathically ripping the hearts out of people and you know and it's it is it is like a, just a, a wild way to start your movie and to immediately set up you know all of the the literal sort of deal with the devil stuff that they are doing although it is it is funny that how fast it's like Join us in our barbaric plunder against the tranquil and peaceful land, you know, run by King Richard. And he, like Cromwell successfully wipes out like everyone, the entire family. And he yeah. betrays the sorcerer in like five seconds. And, and he walks up right in front of him in broad daylight, as you were just saying, Jamie. And he just, he just like s- stabs like, him done. and throws him off a cliff. And he's yeah. it's, it's like, it's like a, it's like the boat. It's like a good fellas, like goon kill to like yeah, the sorcerer that, who just like well, proved that he could rip people's hearts out with his brain. And stuff. <laughs> it's so goofy. Right. Both of these movies have a very cool scene where someone gets thrown off a cliff, like into the ocean. I think that's what yes. happened to this guy here, yeah. uh, which we'll get to later. But the the thing that kind of is so amazing is that character is so cool, and he's in maybe seven minutes of the movie in terms of just seeing him, like in makeup, right. to a point where I, for a while, I kind of thought the movie forgot about the character. Um, <laughs> but we'll get into that later. Right, of course. Yeah. yeah, there's a little bit of a a reveal, but yeah, it, it is funny that he is, and they and they even present him like we were saying in the first five minutes as kind of the most compelling character, or at least maybe the most um, powerful one, someone that we're going to have to feel threatened by every time they pop up on screen, and then it's just <laughs> stab thrown off a cliff, and we'll see Goodbye. you later. Um, yeah, also but, also the villain's plan works in the opening like five minutes of the movie, Cromwell's, right. and so like just everyone's dead, and he's already taken over the kingdom, and the only person he didn't kill was King Richard's son, Talon, played by Lee uh, Horsley, uh, who kind of just looks like Christopher Lambert in Highlander if he t- had taken a few more showers and had shorter hair. Um, <laughs> and he has bestowed upon him right before his father's death a triple bladed projectile broadsword, uh, so which he he accepts alongside a mission to avenge his family for this villainy, much like uh, Conan, uh, including even like witnessing his parents like execution and all that kind of stuff. And I bring this up just to bring up the fact that anytime that projectile broadsword shit is on screen. I am hooting. I am having a great time. Yeah, it's, it's it's one of those it's one of those things where it's like clearly uh, like a geeky teenager like drew this and he was like <laughs> and now it's in a movie and that's the, yeah. you know and like that's all there is to it and it's fucking sick every time fucking you know someone points it and fires it like a literal rocket launcher and you just see a dude get wire pulled with a giant like bloody piece of steel in his chest or in his back or something it only happens yeah. like a couple times in the movie but every time it does I was losing it it's wonderful yeah i, was, I don't uh, think you could really oh sorry oh no i was real real quick i was i was listening to an interview with i think the the editor that's on youtube and he was saying that uh they eventually made um toys with this sword and it was like incredibly uh 
it, it did very, very well. And I, I mean, yeah, if I saw this as a, as especially as like a 10, 12 year old, I would be like, this is, I need this in my life right now. I am going to destroy my brothers every single day. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> um, so yeah, it is, it is one of the just dumbest, but coolest weapons that I've, that I've seen. And I mean, when I say dumb, it is in a sense, it works really well. It's a, it's a good, it's a good weapon to probably have if you're just going sword to sword. Um, but it's just the concept of it is obviously very dorky and I, and I love that about it. I mean, I haven't seen a better sword in a movie and that's sort of the thing (laughs) about this movie is like the two things for me really just to get it out of the way. It's the sword and the bad guy, the, the demon dude, both of those things are just 10 out of 10, just knock it out of the ballpark, whatever metaphor you want to use, which is kind of essential. If you call your movie, the sword and the sorcerer, right? That the sword and the sorcerer are sick as fuck is important. (laughs) (laughs) But they're both two things that are barely in the movie. But when they're in the movie, it is just you're it's like, what else do you want? It's electric. (laughs) It's it's, you know, it's a movie of highs and lows. And those are like the ultimate highs for me. Like like when someone now when I have to watch a movie with a normal sword, I'm like, why doesn't that sword launch another sword into the guy? (laughs) Like, why is it a sword shotgun? Yeah, totally. Like the and and the first time it it's so funny uses it uh twice pretty much every time because the the design isn't just one, but you have two on either side of your your main sword. So you got two projectiles and I don't think it ever I do kind of wish they had a a shot where he, you know, like took it out and reloaded it and then shot it again or something <laughs> like that, but I know I'm asking for a lot. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like he gets to use it once during the battle and then he uses his sword and then right. later together it's reassembled for another yeah. battle at some point. You but know? two guards are going to get it, let me tell you. And I love that. I wonder yeah. if the pitch for the movie was, I have a great idea for a sword and I have a great idea for a sorcerer. What are you going to call it? Oh my God. <laughs> we're going to call yeah. it sword we fucking, sorcerer. We, we've well, got pe- it, dude. People were just hungry for this stuff, I guess. Because like, it, it, the budget here is $4 million and it made $40 million, I believe. Which is like just insane for yep. given what the, we're this made here. as much money as Conan the Barbarian, which yeah. you actually might not know just because Ar- obviously Arnold became so much more of a star than uh, Lee Horsley did, and I will say probably yeah. justifiably so. Um, but like you, yeah, you like it's it's one of those things where despite being like kind of critically panned, um, mm-hmm. which led to a whole bunch of problems with the studio with Pune and some of the issues he had getting other films made. So despite, but this was it was a huge hit and people you know did enjoy themselves and you know and the fact that it's now available on 4k or you can actually kind of see it in you know non vhs quality which is the only way many people could watch it for many years but they're you know this is not this is one of his more expensive and like theatrical release successful movies it's kind of it's 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 kind of crazy yeah yeah as someone who's seen all of his movies, I'd say the two that feel like he had money are this and Nemesis. And almost every other movie he's made feels like he mm-hmm. had no money but didn't care, you know? These are the ones where <laughs> yes. it's like he actually had some resources. There's stuff in this where I'm like, you got a lot of extras. You have pyrotechnics. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of costumes. And it felt like, you know, not as much as like other directors get. But to him, it's like he won the lottery on both of those. Like Nemesis feels more expensive than some of the Terminator sequels and I'm sure it was made for like $18 but (laughs) this movie is like feels like some of those ones that had way more money um 
the 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 outsider art of this movie it's more about like the structure and the screenplay and kind mm. of some of like the weirder elements of it but like the execution is really good yeah absolutely yeah. like they're like the the shots uh when this the family is being slaughtered and and they're having uh the the battles and taking out the rest of the army and everything they have a lot of extras in those those uh, pans where you can see all the dead bodies on the battlefield and everything like that. Like it's there, there is some some money on the screen for sure. And uh, and I and I just love when Pyun gets to do that because you can tell that he's really taking advantage of it and and trying his best to 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 do every little trick that he knows. Um, and I it, he's he's just one of the most passionate filmmakers that we always that we talk about on the show, and I love him. But uh, well, a lot of his movies he made later, he made entire movies during the uh, reshoot section of another movie where he tricked financiers, yes. where he like needed 10 days. He has, I think, four movies that he made secretly using the budget set aside for remakes of other movies. Like everything <laughs> with him is just like he'd sneak off for three days and come back with like, an 87 minutes movie. But this one yeah. feels like, you know, they everyone was really hoping that these things would work and he just had the right place right time of trying to make a movie that there was a market for and like a real appetite and he just really went for it mm-hmm. yeah exactly like that, that that's really the key to this that, that like like obviously it, it's not quite on the level of these of these movies like but like people did like this has real studio backing behind it because people were interested in seeing this at the box office and like, which is crazy to think about, like to think about even something that like something as psychotic and horny and dreamlike as Excalibur, um, it was such a, a hit that it was. And Borman is obviously such a crazy stylish and we, you know, we covered that film. I think that there is just so much like anguish to like the foundational cycle of like impulse and killing and uh, you know that 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 movie establishes about the whole sort of sword and sorcery myths and any and and everything and borman is just you know so hypnotic and kind of dead serious about it whereas this does lean a little bit more into like the goofy side of the adventure storytelling and tries to do a little bit more of like a post like kind of george lucas star wars kind of like a little bit of like a kid's adventure thing which is just funny to do that as well as like but still maintain the fact that like well excalibur is r-rated and conan is r-rated and you know so like you still need to put in like the the comic book pulp fantasy fantasy like revenge odyssey audience they want to see a guy get decapitated properly you know they want to see a broadsword go into someone's chest and it gush blood everywhere and you know (laughs) the other filmmakers who are doing stuff like this are like you know borman but also a right-wing psycho like john milius for example um who you know is just the way that he treats that the violence is so meaty and so Mm -hmm. just like you know like so exaggerated and kind of ugly even though it has you know a sense of kind of awe and and elegance and in kind of its its own way whereas this it's just it's funny to see some of those elements but thrown into more of like a rollicking like kids adventure movie um in a way which is so pyun's kind of trying to satisfy two different audiences and as a result you get some (laughs) stuff that's like a little bit of feels a little bit mixed um (laughs) like what like 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 when we get like 
uh, Talon having to go into like d in e into exile for like a decade and 10 years later coming out, uh, you know, the sorcerer has survived and now rules in like a skull or like snake cave or what he's like stewing in rage and trying to, you know, he's like, I'm going to conquer my betrayer Cromwell, you know, in two days time with the rising of the seventh moon, you know, his <laughs> bride and his flesh shall be mine. Um, meanwhile, Talon is running a crew of like mercenary bandit, like warriors that are like very low rent version of like King Arthur's knights. They're his homies though. They're getting <laughs> missions done. Uh, they're getting paid, you know, and, um, you know, and Cromwell's rule has resulted in a bunch of like, you know, rebellion brewing in support of this, like Prince Micah played by Simon McCorkendale and Princess Alana played by Kathleen Beller. Uh, and, and also this Count Michelli played by George Maharis, which is, we'll talk about that character who, yeah. and, and that actor who has the craziest, like downward eyebrow gaze. I've just, <laughs> I've ever seen. Um, he does not look like a trustworthy guy. That is for sure. I don't know if I've ever seen a movie before where the antagonist and the protagonist have the same enemy. That was the thing that really yeah. kind of threw me off on this viewing is the lead guy is like, I want to go kill this dude. And then the evil demon guy is like, I want to go kill this dude. And they're both on like this parallel journey of trying to take down the same guy. And they don't know that the other person is trying to do the same thing. It's like, mm -hmm. like almost like a more complicated version of heat, but it'd be like if De Niro and Pacino <laughs> were both going after a third person, uh, yeah, they were, they were both trying to take down Wayne grow. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, that's a movie. I mean, it just make him a evil source or a demon guy. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I just don't know if I've seen another movie where like when they cut to that guy, I'm like, Oh, the the motor of this movie is both of these guys want to take down a corrupt king. All right, let's go. Yeah, I mean, I I think actually an interesting version of the movie would be the one where they realize that and maybe briefly team up or something like that. It's very funny that the end result of that dynamic is we'll we'll get to in the last set piece though is just that like one's like who the fuck are you? Like I have no issue with you, you know? And then they they just slightly annoy each other on the mission to do the same thing. They also <laughs> have did, the, uh... was anyone else confused when you cut to the older version of the guy? It was like is this supposed to be the same guy? And also is it supposed to be eight? years later because he looks like he's 40 years older they also have share the same motivation in that they both want to sleep with elena oh true and I yeah i mean the biggest thing i want to talk, talk about, about i was gonna say talk about motivation. that's part of what i was leading to about the tonal <laughs> changes because like you know like it's there's this so whole wild. subplot about you know like obviously king richard's family was entirely slaughtered so like this this uh this alana and micah character are kind of being established as they might be the new rulers if we were to overthrow this evil cromwell uh but their plot goes like instantly sour and like cromwell crushes the rebellion he captures Micah and Alana is, you know, nearly assaulted is the nicest way I'll put it. But they the language is like uh, words like mounted and dagger are used and it's treated a bit weirdly tonally, kind of like humorously as like Talon turns the corner into frame, like eating a giant cold chicken leg <laughs> and then like looks down at the assaulter's dick. It is like that's a small threat and it just emasculates and humiliates these men who are, you know, trying to uh, assault this princess it makes them run off like scared dogs but then instantly asks to be paid 
in a one night stand with her to (laughs) do the sword for hire mission of rescuing her brother from the king's dungeon. And he even makes a joke about like my sword is poised gag. And, and, and and he like stands up underneath the table and it's, it's meant to imply that the table shifts because he has such a large boner. Um, like it's, it's weird because it almost, the the first time I heard it, I thought they were just going to do something where he's just like, Oh, you dog you. And then like, it was a joke almost. It'd still be a very crass and kind of terrible joke, but, um, it wouldn't be the actual motivation of the character. And then, and then he just sticks with that. He's like, no, I don't want gold. That's what I want. And she just reluctantly says yes. So that the, you know, the, um, people can be saved. And, uh, and then, and we'll get to it, but it, it even comes full circle, which is just even fucking crazier to me. But, but uh, well, my, the but biggest yeah. flaw of the movie for me, or maybe the only like actual flaw, I think, is that the entire premise is the story is a guy does all of this so he can, you know, have relations with this woman. And the <laughs> entire movie is hinging on that. Will he succeed? And uh, I'm going to spoil it, even though we're going linear, <laughs> you, you they just you never find you never really see it. And someone just asked him if it happened. So it feels like the entire movie is like they're waiting for like a. it's like if you're a sports movie and the whole movie, they're talking about the big game and then you just <laughs> jump cut past it. Uh, it's like because it's literally the premise is he's like, I will go on the biggest adventure of all time and save this whole country. And then in return, we will do this. And then the movie <laughs> forgets that that was important. And in a movie that's so crass and violent and kind of designed to be this thing, it suddenly feels like it's a PG like prude movie. It's a very interesting dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. It never quite knows what it it wants to be. It's just it's it really is just trying to be all of it. It's trying to capture a kind of every audience and every tone, at least from moment to moment. It, 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 it never uh, is doing it all at the same time. And then so you just get mm-hmm. a lot of conflicting conflicting feelings here and there but it is fun because it's always it's always surprising you know yeah well and and it is just driven it like the one thing i'll say is that like there there is this element of like a teen boy who's really into fantasy stuff and it does have kind of like a one-track mind like that where it does just go oh you know he he he, he's gonna get paid with the pretty girl to do the crazy cool action sequences and then it's just like okay we've established that so now let's get to them you know then you know (laughs) talon is going instantly within like a scene he's like okay now i know what i'm gonna be paid i'm gonna go rescue this prince and it immediately gets into like the sequences where like all the rebel men are getting like lit on fire by his arm of like red dragon archers and like those cool shots of like each arrow and spear tip like sparking with flames as it, the shot <laughs> is kind of going along and then they start just like massacring these men who are all trying to overthrow the king uh, which is which is a, a nifty uh, little sequence but then they throw in some stuff about how like you know the Cromwell captures Alana and plans to like forcefully make her his queen and he's torturing Micah in like a dungeon and he's been chained up and he's got like blood dripping down his like whipped back yeah, yeah. and I did I did like in that scene there's the brief appearance of the buff lady guards something that Pune would eventually make kind of a regular thing in, in his movies he loved very f- visually physically strong strong women and there's this movie could use a little bit more of it but it was awesome to see the er, the earliest thread of it is in these these uh, guards who are uh, holding the prince hostage is like the very buff like female guards mm-hmm. 
but it's a very kind of like fiery and like sweaty mood. It definitely looks a lot better than some of the outdoor um, stuff. And it leads to a whole sequence where I think Talon has to like break in through uh, the like rat infested sewer. And it's this whole like prison rescue escape sequence that does play with like a bit of like a goofy kids movie attitude and and tone. And it reminded me genuinely of like the Death Star escape in like A New Hope where there's just like light strings and like a guy jumping around. He's like swinging like Tarzan briefly. He's getting into like slapstick chase fights, despite the fact that this is like, you know, like a rebellion has just been fucking massacred. And, you know, like there's some kind of serious stakes that they've established and some evil mood. But they're just like suddenly, you know, there's just some slapstick running around and then a guy will just get stabbed in front of like a naked woman or something. It's just just jumping between these two different kinds of movies very, very quickly. And it's interesting that it has all these interests that would especially appeal to someone that is like, you know, like 13, that kind of thing. Um, uh, But it's in a movie where they probably wouldn't be able to actually go see it. So it is it has that strange kind of uh, uh, contrasting element where like you'll have, you know, they're going through the sewers and then the rats take over and actually eat somebody alive. Um, and then he crashes through like a, I don't know, like a brothel or a bathhouse or something like that. And there's literally and just the six like, <gasps> naked women, you know, yeah. and, you know and, and breasts are out and everything like that. And he makes jokes about it and then he moves along. Um, and it has a family tone, but then once again, you just have exposed boobs everywhere. So it's such a, and people set on fire and being eaten alive by rats. So it's, it's such a, it's, I love how it goes all over the place, but it is weird in that way. The score does that too, because sometimes it feels mm. like they just licensed music from like an Errol Flynn Robin Hood like ripoff, because the tone of it is this kind of buoyant swashbuckler, like yes. the hero is saving the totally. day kind of thing. But what you're seeing on screen has like this real sort of like darkness and sadism to it. So it's like almost like the music is designed to make it seem more like just this rollicking adventure, but you're like watching someone get crucified. (laughs) It's like a, it's a weird, it's a very interesting contrast. Yeah, it is. It does feel more lighthearted than what you're, what's being displayed. Pion did love his crucifixions too. I, 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 he like, like Talon is crucified on like a very similar like X style cross that like Van Damme is in Cyborg. Oh yeah. And he actually has the exact same escape plan too, which is just pure strength. He fucking pulls those fucking nails out. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he didn't have the power of dolphins, which we'll get to. Love it. Yeah. Well, it, well, Van Van Dam a uh, little bit more believable at pulling that off because that <laughs> dude knew how to scream into the camera in anguish. You and know? we know how powerful <laughs> those thighs are. Those legs. That's true. It is funny that he does it with his legs too. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta fuck it. I think we even mentioned that we were like, dude, you gotta fucking chop his legs off or something. <laughs> yeah, like we know. Doing? Like like at that point in the movie, they know how strong his legs are too, and we're, we're like, what are you guys doing? You know. What <laughs> I was just watching Hard Target with a director friend and I was telling him something that I only have now noticed from having made Scott Pilgrim, which is like when you like record with like a really good actor for hours and you're just getting like the fight noises and grunts and all the impacts and walla, you start to realize like how much that matters for fights. And I think that 90 percent of Van Damme's success as like an action star is that his efforts of like his screaming or being in pain or causing pain, just like the physical noises he makes in conflict mm-hmm. are so like visceral and engaging. Like just anytime 
it's like all those guys when you actually look at it like the real key i think to being those action stars is like the noises that they make or the way that they shout or just their exertions actually are so additive to the action scenes and yeah, this absolutely. is like super in the weeds and, and like not probably that interesting to anybody but me but that's one of the things is like van damme it's not even like how you deliver lines it's just like your hiyas or you're like ah or your like anger noises are all like you either have that or you don't like that's a movie star thing mm-hmm. yeah Totally. Well, and, 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 and something that these guys used to know too, was that like, uh, like those guys, those characters being put in those positions made their characters interesting and inspired great work out of them. Like now you see a lot of action stars who don't want to get put into the position where they're getting the shit kicked out of them. Like yeah. Van Damme used to like, like, you know, and, uh, and it's, you know, he, he knew he looked fucking good. You know, and and, mm-hmm. and the audience really is, would sympathize with a character who's getting the shit kicked out of him like that, which made it so much more cathartic when then his thigh, I don't know, like, like in Cyborg, like ended a post-apocalypse dystopia, you know? Like, yeah, that's it. The Jackie <laughs> split, Chan philosophy. Split kicked his way out of Mad Max. <laughs> right. Well, Arnold, Arnold, loved, Arnold gets his shit kicked out of him by the Predator to a point where you feel like there's no way he can even beat this guy. And if someone made Predator now with like some of these action stars and their contract where they can never lose a fight, it'd be like, what are they supposed to do in that situation? Like they're facing up. It's like a giant <laughs> alien who seems unstoppable and they're not going to take a punch from him. <laughs> you know what? They're not they're not going to seem like they're about to die. Like that's the thing that made Arnold so cool is like as much as he seemed like the biggest badass in the world, sometimes it felt like he really was going to lose, you know, like yeah, or his yeah. eyeballs were going to yeah. pop out of his head. Yeah, yeah you, you, you like to feel the that the protagonist is in. Yeah, you like to pretend that you like to know that the protagonist is in in some actual danger and what that does to the film like this. This makes an attempt at that with with the whole crucifixion section, which is Cromwell's like wedding banquet feast, you know, as part of his wedding to Alana, uh, who's in this very. Uh, teen boy revealing dress that looks like she's like some sort of like Egyptian queen or something like that. And uh, he's having this wedding in front of the neighboring lords and 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 kings who he's all invited to come and see it. And he has Talon crucified in the middle of the feast on like this display. And, you know, and 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 some of the lords and kings who he's invited do recognize him as King Richard's son, who, you know, Cromwell is clearly planning to murder, you know, uh, kind of Game of Thrones wedding assassination betrayal style, um, but who he d- doesn't anticipate all of these other kings realizing what's happening and organizing their men to fight all of his guards and the big like for Talon as it yeah. gets to like the really big R rated section of the movie, which is like, you know, one rebel dropping a guard's head onto like a table saw in in this set piece, the, the and blood just shooting everywhere or the sword slicing down people's faces. And I think one dude just like pitchforks a dude in the chest. I was like, I don't even know where this guy got the pitchfork from. I don't know why this was at the wedding banquet. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) very anchor man. I do like, uh, yes, I do like uh, Pion's like slow-mo style build that he has when Talon is like gaining the willpower and strength to loosen up the, Pulling the, the nails out of his, his hands. Yeah. yeah. And then he starts like screaming Cromwell's name. You just know the, the vengeance is, is here. It's, it's uh it is pretty awesome the way that he kind of builds that into the, into the, well, yeah. And, 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 and Talon shirtlessly like throwing people around the banquet hall, like a pro wrestler, eventually diving through the air in like this blood red fog mm-hmm. and catching his, like triple broadsword in midair as the two like silhouetted armies collide like it's just a cool shot it has some yeah. atmosphere to it it's awesome that, that was probably I think my that, favorite oh. shot of the the movie 
that's that's exactly what I want to say is like I, I think the tide for my favorite moment in the movie is the opening with like the faces becoming real on mm. that thing yeah. and and then him jumping up with a sword when he did I wanted to like stand up and cheer and then he gets like the shit kicked out of him like 30 seconds later it's a very <laughs> deflating moment like he jumps up and catches the sword and you're like alright he's gonna wreck shit and then he gets tackled well, by like, well, and briefly and he does uh, slice across three swords at once shattering that's them all to sick. pieces yeah yeah that's i did like that <laughs> and the, but yes then it's I think like the reason you know, the sword isn't in every scene is because if it did the movie would be 10 minutes long like if he always used that sword yes. like all the conflict <laughs> would just be resolved like the movie should have been like they take the sword away from him and then the whole movie he's trying to get it back because if he has it you cannot make a 90 minute movie no. like it's a nine minute movie yeah he is rocking everybody with that thing i also like how uh kind of messy the 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 choreography can seem like when they're swinging the swords and a lot of it is also like they'll they'll be you know sword fighting but there's a lot of body slamming and like throwing people through walls and tables and stuff like that as well it's almost wrestling yes. at a certain point <laughs> which i kind of enjoyed it's just very uh it's 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 messy instead of uh, like a clean way of choreographing it yeah, there's some blunt force likes just like pure uh, a, a guys being strong, you <laughs> yeah, know, exactly. kind of action choreography, <laughs> um, which, uh, which which does lead to a because I, I think at one point, because when he first gets captured, there's that whole like waterfall, like dagger duel, right? Like in the cave and, you know, it results in, I think, Cromwell. Uh, oh, it's like the Count Michelli guy knocks him unconscious by hitting him in the back of the head or whatever, who we eventually find mm-hmm. out is actually uh, uh, Zhuzha, right? That's like the kind of the twist of the movie is that the right. whole time it was actually He's been the, plotting the, on the inside. That's right. So then so then when when they finally when Cromwell kind of you know, tries to uh, kidnap Alana and take her back into the cave. And he thinks he's taking uh, her down there with his count who's helping him. You know, he uh, reveals that he actually is the sorcerer and, there is also a funny gag where Alana throughout has been like just like kneeing dudes in the dick and doing one liners the entire time, I guess, to respond to the fact that the movie is kind of written, you know, the, 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 the pulpy characterizations are frequently that the woman is a damsel in danger. So, you know, Pion was, I think, trying to throw a little bit of, of you know, making her a little bit of a stronger yeah. uh, character. And she try. I think the reveal happens, right, because she tries it on the count. And she, you know, tries to knee him in 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 the balls, and right. it's just like it, just it, at first you're like, like, wait, does he have like something. a jock strap on? It doesn't like work, and then and then he reveals himself. He's like, he does this like monstrous, slimy, like body horror transformation where he like tears his scalp and face in half, and he yeah. rebirths himself as like this like clawed skeleton form that's like nearly strangling her with snakes or something. Yeah, the skin stretching was was a pretty cool effect. It was a, it kind of reminded me of um, you know, it's not quite there but it, the the Romaro effect where uh, I mean I guess he does it in almost every one of his zombie movies but that especially that next stretch that they have in uh, Day of the Dead is that the one yes, that I'm yeah. thinking of so yeah it was it was kind of cool to see those elements in there but it Can results I ask you guys in a question oh go ahead do you uh, do you understand how kings work because I don't and I don't know no. I was very confused why this guy isn't supposed to be king and maybe I'm just like really stupid, but it feels like a movie where like he's the heir, but he's not the heir. You know, it's like and everyone's like cheering for him like they're like, this is our leader, but he's not. I mean, obviously, he's just not into it. Like he just wants to go from movie to movie if they made a franchise of it. But isn't isn't he like supposed to be? 
Yeah, yeah right. absolutely. Like, Cause, Ab- cause, no, you're you're 100 right, and it's, it's actually an interesting character choice that I feel like if they wrote it into the movie more deliberately, it would actually be cool. Yeah, but yeah, like he he is the rightful heir, and he's technically helping this prince and princess who are trying to claim the kingdom away from Cromwell, but they're trying to claim it because they think that the original king has no heirs, despite the fact that the main guy Talon is that heir, and we know that he's still alive, but he never announces himself as like i'm back and i want to be king so they just go well i guess this prince and princess i guess can rule i don't know <laughs> whatever so there's, techni- <laughs> there's technically like three different parties who view the king as an antagonist you have our lead guy who could be king but doesn't seem to want to be the people who are rebels but are trying to become king and then the demon guy who wants revenge against him it's yeah. like, the, 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 yeah, there's the sorcerer. Well, and that's what's so funny, too. When Talon runs in and the sorcerer is just like kicking the shit out of the king and he comes in, and he's just like, you know, I have no quarrel with you, you know, sir. Uh, and then uh, the sorcerer is like Cromwell and his kingdom are actually mine, like not not any of yours. And then it's, I just love immediately. He's like, well, now we have a quarrel. You know, like, you yeah. know, like I, I don't agree. You know? <laughs> um, and, and it just results and he just he defeats him pretty easily, too. Like, it's funny that, you know, we see the sorcerer like try to like he tries to pull his heart out of his chest. Right. And you get like the heartbeat on like the sound design where briefly we think we're in the point of view of like a character whose heart is like in a temple of doom, like right out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but it's all good because he has the strength to, as you know, line up his broadsword crossbow firing shot and just pointed fucking shoots that fucking demon away and then yeah. it's like bam he's dealt with for the rest of the set piece now he can cromwell and talon can have their final rematch duel that went wrong the first time they were fighting in the at the midpoint of the movie and he even as a, a pure gentleman he fires his second blade into the wall to even the odds they're gonna do That's old right. school sword fight in the dark honorable foggy cave sparks igniting like lightsabers on every single swing that they take it, it is funny how much pune was like we're also going to do a little bit of star wars in here because it's really popular <laughs> yeah, <a little> bit. <laughs> i do and i do like the uh the kind of it doesn't go way over the top but i like the expanding weaponry that kind of happens like at a certain point cromwell has uh, like almost a staff that uh, like a like a knife pops out of it. And then it's also revealed that Talon has an Assassin's Creed wrist knife and, and, and takes out Cromwell that way. So that did, part is just, it, it reminded me so much of like in Pacific Rim when there's like all this conflict and then out of nowhere, they press a button that says sword and then it's awesome. <laughs> and it's, and then it's, I just love that moment so much, but it's also like, well, why didn't you use that earlier? Like the whole <laughs> movie, you have that. this sword where you could just use that thing. And it's and it's so cool, too, because it's like they're saving it. They're like, oh, you think you've seen everything, but we have one final thing literally up his sleeve. You know, it's just, yeah. well, here's this last sword move. And I'm like, all right, guys, I thought I'd seen everything I could see with swords, but you, you still had one more mode. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh. I also do like that he kills him while finally announcing himself as like the son of Richard in like the same manner that like McDuff announces that he was like born of Caesarean section in Macbeth. Yeah. He's just like, which you I know, guess is you, the, the you thought I was just does. some fucking guy. Well, guess what? Yeah, <laughs> I'm that kid you forgot to kill ten years ago, bitch. <laughs> yeah, jabs him. <laughs> like you thought I was some fucking guy because I just come off as some fucking guy this whole time, <laughs> and I kind of just want to be some fucking guy yeah. even after this is over. I don't even want to be king anymore. 
<laughs> it's so funny. Never wanted yeah, to be the, king the, in the first place, honestly. I just wanted to get laid. It is, <laughs> it is funny that that is the attitude that you kind of get from him the entire time anyway. So I'm glad that they don't write it in like we were saying, like he could, he eventually does become king. He does seem like just a... He's like, he's like a stoner with his homies that just wants to keep adventuring on. <laughs> well, this yeah. story has the energy of like a kid telling you a story, but forgetting things that they'd set up, you know, or like forgetting exactly <laughs> where they are at the point in the story. Yes. Because it's like, oh, well, we go and find this demon guy and then he's going to help me. But then I then I double cross him. But then this other guy comes up. But then it's 10 years later. But then now he doesn't want to be king. But this other guy wants to become king. It just has this yeah. sort of the the way that it kind of flows organically is there's just points in this movie where I'm like, I don't know if there's an hour left in this or two minutes, you know, like it's, it's a little hard to gauge exactly like what <laughs> conflict you're building towards or exactly like which things need to be accomplished in order for this to be over. It feels like there's like people getting, keep getting captured and putting back in cells and escaping and then captured. And you only sort of know you're in the finale because there's like the forced wedding. Like that's where you're right. like, okay, well this is, this is the ending because the bad guy's trying to marry the girl. So I feel like this is where we're at now. Cause it's like, and we're going to crucify the guy. So that's how we're going to raise the stakes. But I was genuinely surprised by the twist. I hadn't seen this in so long. I had forgotten that that guy was the guy the whole time. Um, it's funny. I had I watched this as a double feature with this movie Masquerade, and both of them made me feel really stupid because they both had like third act twists where like a guy was actually the main bad the whole time, and I was like, "Why?" I guess I just underestimated this movie. Like <laughs> this guy right well, here it, it, was going to be. It's also him funny to pull that twist, and then the main bad guy and the main protagonist like have no interest in each other. Like literally, it's like Talon is on his way to kill this Cromwell guy. And briefly, he's like, who's this fucking weird sorcerer guy in the room? Why the fuck is he here? I don't know. And then he literally just like pushes him to the side, finishes his actual sort of like cathartic. I'm going to kill the guy who killed my family and do all this. And they get that out of the way. And then like, they have to obligatorily be like, well, I guess the sorcerer was like a little bit harder to kill than that. Right. We kind of built him up as pretty, you know we got to do something. So like the snake is still trying to attack Alana. So he has to behead that. And then he, the, you know, like, you know, the, the, the sorcerer rises up again, like a slasher villain and they have to like stab him again. <laughs> <laughs> like they're just like, you know, but they set up no conflict between those two guys. And you could even see them wrestling with that in the, in, in the final set piece where they were like, yeah, we did not plan these two guys to ever have to interact or what any of it. They don't, they literally did not know who each other were. <laughs> until they met and they went I have no quarrel with you and then they're like well I guess we have to fight because you're a bad guy and I'm a good guy we you know <laughs> yeah. it's, and it's just it's very funny that they kind of feel like you feel like the movie realizes that in the moment and then they go <laughs> okay well now the movie's over you know <laughs> well it feels it, it feels like it breaks a normal movie rule um this is gonna be an unbelievably weird comp but that's all i do is like there's this thing where like in iron man 2 where the whole second act uh tony stark doesn't know that the whoever uh, mickey work played is alive so as far as he's concerned there is no villain so when you're <laughs> in a movie where the, the lead character doesn't know the bad guy exists usually that kind of makes a movie feel super slack but the thing that's helpful is this guy really wants to get laid. So it's like <laughs> he's doing all of this stuff 
which which has like a goal but it's like <laughs> the fact that this movie works so well when he doesn't know that this super cool bad guy exists is kind of a miracle because that yeah. should be because you'd think that's what the movie is is like this guy has to take down this evil guy that's what the but poster the end, is just like the so, poster yeah, is a triple like, broadsword <laughs> and a giant sorcerer in a cave <laughs> yeah. it'd be like if at the end of batman jo- batman runs into joker and he's like i don't know who you are yeah what the, who the fuck and yeah he's like he's like i've been going after the mob like i didn't even know there was like this clown prince who's like taking over and he's like i have no quarrel with you joker that's that's what it would be yeah. although that does feel like this probably like a lego a lego batman joke but that's the thing about this movie that it's part of the fun of it is like the execution is really high and it's exciting and it's fun and some of it is like genuinely fucking awesome but from a story perspective it is very kind of it, 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 those elements where it just sort of feels like someone maybe has never seen one of these movies before, you know, <laughs> yeah. which is which is there's a fun element to that, because what happens with a lot of these is they're usually very stale because they're the exact same movie. And this movie does not follow any kind of normal Conan ripoff rules. Like, you know, it's not like it's a standard yeah. thing to have the one where it's like, well, he doesn't even know that the coolest guy, the coolest bad guy in the movie exists. And then when he runs into him, he's like, I don't care about you. You can do whatever the fuck you want, dude. I'm just here for the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's very funny. Like, you know, they, they set up literally, they, they have the, the one night stand together. You know, they, they enjoy each other's company. We hope and assume and then it, it just uh, as he's riding off with his with his band of homies, he's like, uh, um, "We've got people to save and women to love." And I just love that the the film doesn't doesn't choose to do the classic, you know, leading man romantic thing where he's like, "Actually, I found love here with Elena." He's just no, he, he had a sick one night stand. Yeah. he's just a player. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like the end of Big Trouble in China. Only he actually does have sex with her they just skip over it it's not <laughs> right. like like the the funny version of the ending would be like she's like all right so you read and he's like nah he's like let's go adventure and you're like what <laughs> in this case it's like it feels almost like there's a missing reel like in the theatrical version of planet terror although i don't know if it's uh if it's in both versions where they just suddenly cut out this part because the entire yeah. movie as i said earlier it's like He's doing all this so he can, you know, hook up with her. And then right as you think that's going to happen, they're like, did it happen? He's like, it did. What's even funnier is the vocabulary of like the visual vocabulary of that la- of like that second last scene, which is that it like dollies over all the corpses on like the feast table as the kings and rebels have you like united to get rid of Cromwell and the sorcerer's rule and all of that. And everyone's cheering him on as they throw the Cromwell crown like down to the other guy. And like it's this big scene of like, look, we've accomplished this thing. Look at all these bloody bodies everywhere. This prince is now king and you just see him like grab Alana and be like we have some business to attend to and then he Tarzan swings her across the across the castle to go have sex <laughs> oh yeah I forgot about that shot <laughs> it's this in it's just sense, a, though it feels like it's maybe written by someone who doesn't know how babies are made you know like there is some yeah. element of like they didn't do that part because like well we don't actually know what would happen there like, no <laughs> it just feels like it we feels really like when I was a, when I was like a t- when I was a kid and I'd watch these movies and like you know you'd see James Bond and a girl and it would like fade to black and you'd see him the next day in different clothes and I'm like I don't know what they did at all that's what it sort of feels like it feels like this that, was made that's by what people adults do, of that you know? mindset <laughs> adults kiss and it fades to black that's what happens 
That's if, yeah. uh, like I yeah I, I don't I probably said the wrong number of age, but if I you know I just remember like watching one of those movies like in second or third grade and pretending like I knew what the innuendo was and what was happening. And this movie <laughs> feels like it's just in that mode because yeah. the whole time he's like, we're going to do that thing that people do. And then they're like, did you do it? He's like, I did. And it was good. <laughs> just feels like they yeah. skip right over it. And uh, watch out for Talon's next, next adventure tales of the ancient, ancient empire coming soon, which did not come out until 2010. Starring Kevin <laughs> Sorbo, I believe. Yes. Let's go. <laughs> Ryan's dad from the OC. Yeah, uh, I, I just it, that's that's like I think honestly the only like if I had a note like if they were making this today and I was on set they're like would you change anything I'm like well you can't just skip over that part you can at least like have them start to kiss and then you fade to black or do whatever you can't just <laughs> have him swing like Tarzan and then cut to him on a horseback with a bunch of dudes. Other than that, I love that this movie feels like there were no notes, you know, <laughs> like clearly no one involved was like, you need to have these guys know that they exist or you need to do this thing or you need, like if you're going to have this kid as your protagonist and then jump cut to him as an adult, maybe say it's 20 years later. <laughs> it's like, because I think they say it's like eight, I think, or maybe yeah, 10. It's, it's, it's like it eight to 10 or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like there's just stuff in this that it sort of feels like is very just almost stream of consciousness, but it's executed like it's a normal movie that is like very traditional storytelling. So that's where you kind of get this weird disconnect is mm -hmm. it feels like it's just a normal studio programmer on some level, but it's way too idiosyncratic to actually be that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And if we're pivoting towards reductive rating round, that's why this got the like the solid three for me. Like I'm 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 yeah. a really big fan of Excalibur and like it's like it's my favorite like fantasy film just in, in, in general. I've watched it many, many times. And so this doesn't quite get to that like obviously you know, deliberately kind of mesmerizing and operatic place that that gets to where like I, I compare that almost to like the best versions of like Macbeth that have been done on screen or like Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula in terms of just like the romance for the material being adapted in the pure analog effects like spectacle of it all. Um, I would definitely compare it a little bit more to Conan, but I, I do think that Ben David is right to point out that like Conan is like the more traditional version of this, despite the fact that it was made by two insane maverick movie minds as well with coked out oliver stone and and, and, and john milius um but it, it does have just like such a um, a slower more deliberate pacing even when it is doing it's like strange or kind of supernatural uh things uh whereas this and so like despite not achieving the level of those films for me this is very solid it's very resourceful and it's a very eager amalgamation of all of these various trends made by someone who was very clearly you know just passionate about putting the kind of these these images to the screen in a very sort of like gleeful teen boy way that doesn't really make sense and due to the trends at the time a studio was like yeah we'll fund that it's like can you get it to market fast like can we put yeah. it out so that it makes 40 million dollars uh you know sword in there d d despite quality like it didn't matter that people didn't even really respond to it that well it was like you know they were like there you go and uh it and it, it does do some of that like soft focus haze uh, that and and the gory effects that I, I like about Excalibur, though I will say Conquest, as we'll get into next, does it oh to a much more uh, to a degree that is I, I kind of prefer. 
Yes. Um, but uh, as far as doing like a sort of comic book pulp plotting of like the revenge stuff that this does and how it lurches between these kind of varied surface characterizations and doing all kinds of post Star Wars like goofy fun um, that is Ben David was saying like swashbuckling serial adventure action sequences practically it is uh, it is relatively fast and, and, and it's lean and again it just has that passionate B-movie glee that Pyun just always brought to his stuff where you can you can tell this is just a geeky kid with storyboards getting his only shot his first shot to just put a bunch of things he thinks are cool on screen. And the imagery is weird and memorably striking when it props up. Like the demon magician makeup is incredible. The triple broadsword is a great idea and it's realized in a pretty ridiculous way. It's insane. <laughs> and uh, despite the fact that there's all kinds of flaws in the maybe narrative department, because it's just you know, it, it's because it's in such a rush to just put so much stuff on the screen that it thinks is fun. And uh, yeah. I, I, I get that energy out of the movie watching it, uh, despite the flaws. So very solid three for me. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I, I think to be a fan of his, uh, you have to know that even his best movies, the energy is usually that there's three or four points when you're like, this guy is fucking cooking. He's killing it. This is so cool. This is mm -hmm. at such a high level. And then the rest is like interesting, you know, it's like you're not and, and I and I truly don't mean that in a negative way. It's like I've watched 17 of his movies, you know, in the last few years is that, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I got a bunch of friends to go with me when Nemesis was playing and you can sort of feel the energy where people are like, I don't know why you're making me watch this. And then something happens where everyone is just like, holy fuck, this is awesome. <laughs> and then you kind of shift back into that. Well, I don't know why you're making me watch this. And then, oh, my God, it's like there's these weird highs and lows that are kind of the fun of it. And yeah. like I, I was checking out of this movie a little bit where I'm like, you know, I like this, but not as much as some of the other stuff. And then the sword comes back and he jumps on the balcony. I'm like, never mind. <laughs> this is fucking awesome. Like just when I the movie was losing me a little bit, I was like, yeah, this is why I love this stuff. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm right there with you. I, I for me, it's a, uh, it's in that three territory as well. But like, I just, Pyun is, um, it, I, I, he's, he's always having so much fun, and you can just tell it's always on screen. Uh, I, I think he does at least in certain moments get to very uh, show off quite a bit. Uh, you know, when it's just the narrative scenes, they are kind of, you know, dull or stupid. But like you said, as soon as he busts out the triple broadsword and shoots somebody from 15 feet away or you have a, a demon being born in blood and, and you have this like almost uh, Freddy Krueger effect where you have all the faces uh, and the and the close up as he's being born. Um, there's just a lot here that's that's really fantastic honestly even if you have to go through a little bit of the the dumb uh narrative um and that being said even certain elements of that stupid narrative does become kind of uh, humorous whether it be on purpose or not uh and i do like in this real weird way just because i think it's kind of funny and and so stupid and juvenile that the actual motivation of our leading man here our good guy is to just get laid and that is very very funny to me um so yeah there, there's a lot to to love here and there's just a ton to have fun with so uh yeah it's a it's a three for me hell yeah and for you ben I mean, this is uh, the best way I can explain this movie is that uh, there's a lot of elements of it to me that are a five star movie. And then the rest of it is a three star movie. But it, yeah. and that sounds a little 
confusing, but I just, I don't want to dismiss it as just saying it's a three star movie because there's <laughs> stuff in it. Like I'm literally in the background. I, I just had on the part again when they throw him the sword and he jumps up and he's like, it's all red and like backlit and smoky and it's Looks in sick, slow yeah. motion. And I'm like, this is just as fucking cool as shit gets. So I'd say it's a three star movie with a, a bunch of 10 star moments. Yeah. Hell yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for The Sword and The Sorcerer. We're going to be right back and we're going to be talking conquest. You'll want to stick around for this one. They faced the armies of evil to win the weapons of light. Feel the power. Accept the challenge of conquest. All right, we are back and we are talking Conquest, the 1983 sword and sorcery dark fantasy film directed by Lucio Fulci, written by four different Italian pulp genre writers, including Gina Capone, uh, who, who wrote Highway Racer and starring George Rivero, Andrea uh, Ochapinti and Sabrina Siani. Um, once again, we are happy to be talking about one of our favorite filmmakers on the show, the uh, med student and visual art critic turned Italian horror director, Lucio Fulci, who I've uh, always adored despite his catalog mm -hmm. not holding the sort of similar cultural cachet that some other big Italian filmmakers have enjoyed, like, say, Adario Argento. He should be, but he's not quite on that yeah. level to a lot of people. He definitely so, should be. We've uh, primarily covered his uh, gruesome Italian horror hit era from uh, Zombie Flesh Eaters to House by the Cemetery, including his obvious masterpiece in there, The Beyond, Oof, uh, all so of good. which came out between 1979 and 1981, and all of which share a certain mix of his unique power to mount just like unbearably slow, inevitable dread directly into nose rubbing gross out gore uh that you know perhaps maybe came from his days as a as in as a doctor um uh as as well as expressive and surreal nightmare imagery which i kind of loosely track to his days as someone who loves painting and loves visual art so much mm -hmm. um his movies are just visions of like apocalypse and other worlds that you can just like smell and taste and are yeah. just filled with unbelievable tangible uh texture of like an eyeball being poked out of someone's skull for example which we'll we'll talk about um they have their uh, own but, logic uh, to them kind of thing like it's it, if it's a cliche to say you know they're they're dreamlike but he does every time i've been in one of his films it feels like you're transformed into a different realm completely they the do they, they, they have a logic to them but it's always like irrational logic it's yeah. always unreal it's it's like it's a which he, usually he affects loves, the characters directly <laughs> to be honest yeah well and and it, and it makes them like it makes the worlds of the characters you know like they are they're fluidly stylized but they're always so just like frighteningly uh, like combustible it kind of mm -hmm. feels like like anything can yeah. pop through a wall all of a sudden you're in a different <laughs> oh space and you don't know how you got there uh, your body is like not under your own control and you have to watch it and have things done to it that you can't believe are even happening and like that's just that's the space that Fulci uh, operates in and it's what 
he's kind of most well known for, despite the fact that he actually did have a pretty diverse career um, in, in Italy. He got started in as early as like the 1950s and he was doing everything from comedies to war films to crime and, and giallo films, obviously, to science fiction, to spaghetti westerns, um, you know, but, but 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 needless to say, he he sometimes simply went where money and trends went in the Italian filmmaking market. And just like Albert Pune, Excalibur and Conan and and honestly, Sword and the Sorcerer, huge fucking hit. So everyone went, everyone clearly wants these movies. And briefly, just like the American side, you know, everyone wanted to see a uh, shirtless, broadsword wielding muscle man use violence and magic weapons to save some sort of mystical land from evil forces that were trying to dominate and rule it. And conquest is Lucio Fulci's uh, appropriately psychedelic and fever dream version of uh, <laughs> that kind of movie to the uh, furthest extent. But maybe, uh, Ben, you can start us off here. Tell us about your first time watching Conquest. <laughs> uh, so the it was actually more complicated than that, which is I had been... Um, like I'd seen the beyond when I was like 20 and it melted my brain. Like I'll never forget the feeling of like that last moment being like, Whoa, they're in the painting, you know, which just seemed like the coolest thing <laughs> in the world. And then, um, I went to like an all nighter horror thon, uh, a couple years later and I'd never seen zombie or heard of it. I must've been like 23 or something. And, um, when you suddenly had like zombie versus shark, it was like one of like the high points of my life in terms of not knowing that scene existed and just wondering how it happened and everything. But with the first time I went to fantastic fest in like 2010 or something, I'd never heard of this movie and they had some thing called, I think it was like hundred best kills. I vaguely remember it. There's a lot of beer and stuff in Austin. And, um, it was just like, <laughs> in order from number 100 down to one. And I'd seen basically most of them because I'm a degenerate, I guess. And then they had one from this movie that we're going to be talking about and seeing it out of context in, in the style in which it was done, like the costumes, the lighting, everything about it, it just felt otherworldly and insane. And I, and they don't say what the movies were after. So like I went and like asked the guy who was programming, it, I'm like, Hey, that one, there's that one kill where like these people like pulled someone in half. What was that fucking movie? And he's like, Oh yeah, that's Fulci's conquest. I'm like, Fulci's <laughs> conquest. Got it. Got it. So like my first goal was as soon as I got back to LA was to find this fucking movie. Cause I'm like, what was that? It just was so nightmarish. And then the movie was not at all what I thought it would be, but delivered completely. Um, I I'm such a huge, huge fan of this movie. And for so long, it was so hard to even get, a remotely good version like forever there was just like a bad youtube rip of like a vhs and then the dvd didn't even become available i mean the blu-ray until i don't know maybe like five years ago i think i mean i'm not an expert on these things all i know is that like this uh, movie, yeah there, there was a 2019 it. restoration is the one that uh you can get now so one of my favorite experiences with this movie, though, was uh, there was watching an all nighter uh, marathon uh, maybe 10 years ago at a uh, at Cine family that Phil Blankenship had programmed. And the first five movies were all kind of stuff you'd expect. It was like um, uh, Bad Taste and Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge and all these things. And you get to the sixth movie and usually the sixth movie is something designed to like really wake you up. And it's so crazy. And it's usually something that's kind of garish and, you know, in your face. 
And then Conquest started playing and I was so happy because like all these like it has this weird thing where some people almost everybody fell asleep, not because they didn't like it, because it has a very kind of soothing vibe to it. But I think watching this movie mm. half awake at like 5 a.m. is incredible because it feels like a nightmare. It really feels like you're, it just because it has that wavelength of, of kind of like a sleepy brain that is not really connecting things together. Um, but yeah, well, let's just start <laughs> yeah. talking about the movie or else I'm going to ramble too much. <laughs> but yeah, that's my experience. No, yeah, no, I, 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 I'm I, excited I, to talk I, about it today. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. My my favorite review, having just watched it right now, was by one of my favorite letterboxed uh, uh, schizo posters named PD187. <laughs> oh, and yeah. uh, their review was the most fantastic of all fantasy because it actually feels transmitted from another dimensional plane. Every scene is clouded in iridescent fumes, and I don't know why anybody does anything. Why does the Echo <laughs> Dolphin save a crucified freaking warrior from drowning <laughs> our me- our realm is not meant to know <laughs> and that is That's a scene so that we will true. definitely be talking about but that is also just the well, vibe of the movie like it's so trippy and it's so horror infused and it, it's very it is it is Fulci but it is like Fulci is dealing with tropes and with narrative decisions that are being handed to him by the genre this has there's a loose story here about some sort of like young warrior who has like this like Zeus like father who bestows upon him a laser beam bow and arrow in or- so that he can I guess descend from the ancient paradise that he lives in to a more like unfortunate prehistoric mystical land and he he goes to this land and he you know he's uh, talking about what a brave warrior he is to I guess help rid them of this like evil sadistic ruler, which we'll talk about it in, in the name of the what's 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 the, what's the name here? I wrote down Okron. Yes. Um, yes. And it Okron is like this ghoul headed naked witch who will get into some of the specifics of 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 what she does. But she commands this entire army of like werewolf Wookiees that we'll talk about. <laughs> and the, the kind of crazy thing about this movie is that it is treated similarly to how like the beyond treats the kind of like gateway to hell or like the sort of demon possession or like the, you know, the, these kind of element things you've seen in maybe other horror films are done in the beyond, but they're done in this, just this such the surreal and sensorial and just disgustingly tangible kind of like set piecing that he likes to do where you're not exact. You, you can kind of loosely follow what it's doing because you've seen other scenes like it, but then you're watching it and you cannot believe what you're actually watching because he has such a unique way of just making you feel uncomfortable or accessing the most off-putting portion of it or making it just feel surreal enough that you're like, it is different and it is dreamier and it is. And and in this case, he does copy straight up the uh, hazy, soft focus glow and like grainy fog from Excalibur, which was something that people kind of criticized when Excalibur came out because it was something that, you know, you can kind of hide a little bit of cheapness behind it because it's if it's literally hard to see some of the costumes or see some of the locations Mm -hmm. or, you know, all all that kind of stuff. But in, in both cases, I think it's used to a completely deliberately 
hallucinatory degree even in the opening of this which is like this like ghostly crossfade of this you know this perfect harmonious land that these characters uh live in while the armor is being put on top of this warrior uh Ilias played by uh Andrea uh Ochapinti I'm gonna mess up this name Italian names can be hard sometimes for us on the show <laughs> Um, but, but, but he, he is, it's implied that he's chosen this, this path that he, he wants to be courageous and sacrifice. He wants to take on evil head on. And that's why he's being given this magical bow and, 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 and arrow from, from his, his father. And it's almost like sending his son away. Jesus Christ style as like a martyr, you know, go help a realm in need and go do this amazing thing. This is how you become a man. But it's done in like this double exposed photography where you can just see the land and you can see their faces and you're just dropped into the scene without context. You have no idea where he's going, why he's doing any of this. And the score just kicks in and it's like and the movie starts and that's it. And the yeah. score, which we'll and get into probably throughout. But like, man, it's it's done by one of the members of Goblin who did Suspiria, obviously. So it has some of that prog rock yeah, uh, in there at all. The way but that it, it also. It, it also, for me, had some sounds that sounded more of like Wang Chung circa to live and die in L.A., where it just has like those like pounding drums and like super fast, like spacey synths and all of that, like some stuff that Goblin wasn't doing in the 70s. It's updated for that, but also doing obviously like sort of the fantasy themes and all of that. And uh, yeah, it's just it, and, and the movie really does just like the opening 10 minutes of this are genuinely astonishing. There's no explanation. There's no lore. It, it literally starts like a dream. You you can't remember how you got here. It's just pure insanity right from the beginning. It is hypnotizing the way it comes in. Like, uh, like you have that kind of, um, that, 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 that kind of lulling score. And then the, the, the family actually fades in too, which is interesting. Like you see the landscape, you see the beach that they're kind of on and then they fade into that rather than, you know, walking to the ceremony or something like that. It, it already feels like it's in a, a different realm. And then when they're talking to each other and already doing that weird kind of face fade that they're doing within the landscape, um, the, the, the voices are also heavily reverbed and echoed. So it, it feels as if, these people are, you know, larger than life, like gods or something like that. Um, and, uh, um, and then, and then what's interesting is that you have this kind of hypnotizing quality that's honestly very kind of calming and beautiful in a way. And then you go to the, uh, Oak Ocran or Ocran, the, the witch uh, queen or whatever you want to call her. And, um, very different and, vibe. Very, yeah, there's, very, there's, 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 goes, there's none of that like peaceful beauty and like, you know, there's almost something kind of ethereal and it instantly you are in like grisly apocalypse. That was just one short boat ride away where the villages villagers are worshiping this, uh, naked woman in the creepy mythical golden mask. And she sits on like an egg throne and they believe she rules or controls the sun and makes it like rise each morning in these shots of her like atop the mountain each day like appearing to kind of like summon the sun and bring it up each day um, and she commands an army obviously as I was mentioning of the werewolf looking monsters uh, who raid and, and pillage these um, villages and whose costumes look like knockoff like Chewbacca's or like one of the later cheaper like Planet of the Apes movies which I love by the way yeah. we should bring that shit back. Like if we do another, Absolutely. I know they're doing a plan of the apes movie. That's all CG again already. But I, I do think we should just, you know, go put Paul Giamatti put in a costume, in you know? Yes. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Um, I agree. 
But and then you, when and, and you you get right away, I, I just love that he he gives you both sides of it, where you're gonna get this hypnotizing quality, and then he smashes a man's head. Uh, and blood just and the brain which go instantly everywhere. scalps him which i was yeah. like what a crazy shot of that one just like com- that shot completely drowned in like the silhouetted sunlight that then cuts to the wide angle of his axe being like raised to the sky and then it cracks down on the guy's skull instantly just like scalping him and revealing his brain matter um and and like that's that's the level of violence too where it's just it's sudden it's shocking it's disgusting um we obviously need to mention no did they fucking bone tomahawk a woman yeah they delim an entire like just a a woman and use a decapitator head and then the (laughs) ocarin uses that as like a like a drug almost she starts eating the head and then has hallucinations oh where she's my God. having sex with snakes and seeing a faceless version of Ilias who's coming for her it's just it's wild and to think and to think about like that that first um that first scene where you have all the the, the reverb of um the father telling him what he's got to do to become a man and all of that that's really like the last time that you feel um like there, there's like there, there's a beauty there or something that's calming because the rest of it is just in what seems to be a different realm from them, and it's all ugly and you know there's this yeah, evil inst- sorcery. Instantly, going on. you're watching gory effects of like where cheap werewolf costume dudes sp- sp- spreading a woman's legs until they tear her entire body in in half. You know, yeah. and then that that does set the stage in the opening few minutes for you to be like, oh fuck. This is this is evil. This is uh, you know there's something right. genuinely sadistic happening here on screen, and and that and that gore never goes away. Like Fulci can't help himself, whether it be something that is kind of like a ritualistic sacrifice or a, a, on the battlefield. If someone's just one on one fighting, it doesn't matter. The 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 gore and the blood in this is just in true Fulci fashion. Very close up. Very detailed. Um, there, there can be slow builds to those moments as well, which he loves to do just to make you sit in it. It's, it's got all his like horror elements to it, which is interesting, but he never still strays away from a fantasy tone, which is very cool as well. Well, like the opening 10 minutes of this movie is just so fascinating to me as I've seen it like a lot of times now, which is that, you know, when we're talking about sword and the sorcerer, we're talking about something being kind of uneven and highs and lows and these kind of disparate tones mixed together. And I think that everything in this movie adds up to one thing. And I think that it kind of tells you how to watch it and the mixture of the score and like the visual vibe of the movie and the world of all of it is like extremely consistent in a way that is like, I'm always kind of amazed by, which is like, you never really know exactly what's going to happen next, but it all has like a real sustained mood, which is like you meet these like godlike people And then the rest of the movie is these people just trapped in hell. Like there's just this real danger to every moment where it's like they almost every time they kind of get away from conflict, Mm -hmm. it comes right back at them. And we'll get into it later. But uh, there aren't many movies that establish some characters as seeming like, well, they're definitely the hero and they're definitely going to succeed. Like things will get tough, but we know how stories go and it just doesn't follow that. But the score is so unbelievably effective for me for creating like this extremely like unique fantasy vibe where it just doesn't feel like anything else, you know, like like there's like you have like Marauder for like never ending story and like other movies that have used this kind of like electronic thing that gives the movie its own thing. 
but this also just feels distinct compared to like other goblin scores. Um, but we're, we, we got to talk about that kill in comparison mm-hmm. to Bone Tomahawk, right? Are we going to get into this? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Zoller straight <laughs> up just stole because that shit. It, 100%. <laughs> totally. And I, I know so many people who the reason they like that movie is that kill. And it became this super like annoying thing for me because I'm stupid, which is just like people kept saying, oh, my God, there's this one kill and you'll blow your mind. I'm, I've seen it. I've seen it. It's from Conquest. So like, from what? <laughs> it just became this thing where like <laughs> everyone kept saying they have never seen that. They've never seen that in a movie before. And I think in a sense, that's why I definitely prefer like brawl and dragged across concrete because neither of them have like a Fulci kill in it that everyone keeps telling me is like the coolest kill they've seen all year. Uh, it just feels like yeah, it's, it, the movie was designed that, to let me know how many of my friends haven't seen this. Yeah. It, what's wild too, is that like with, uh, with Zoller, he's kind of, he's building to that moment. You know what I mean? And Fulci's just like, no, that's in my first five minutes. You haven't seen fucking anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> you just wait for this 88 minute. That's an extravaganza. Of <laughs> yeah. No, and, and not fantasy. only are they going to tear the person in half, then they're going to masturbate next to their decapitated <laughs> head that they've turned into a psychedelic drug with their yeah. werewolf buddies. And they're going to start having trippy premonitions about a faceless warrior, which is literally like an actor who had like with no eyes or mouth like a batch of skin for a face who just runs in and shoots his laser beam arrow directly into the exploding uh naked chest of this witch <laughs> woman and which is a recurring dream throughout and clearly like an anxiety of her own in, impending doom at the hands of um Ilias. but in like classic fantasy fashion it's one of those things too where it's like is this actually going to happen or is she actually kind of making this happen by pursue it by you know pursuing it so like there's there's a mm, point in the movie yeah. where Ilias doesn't even know who she is and he only does by the halfway point because her guards have tried to farcically f- kill him and fail and take like 10 bow. times. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then and then he's like, I guess this person's like bad and I should probably do something about this or 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 whatever. Um, yeah. But so much of this uh, movie just, is just, you know. That like like her having that dream and sending men after him and him dealing with that as a problem, not knowing where it's coming from. It, and it, for him, it's just like a surreal nightmare. It's just like everything mm. he does, something jumps out of the woodwork to kill him. And Fulci absolutely just indulges that for the maximum weirdness and the maximum like confusion. But also like he's in a fantasy world where anything goes. So like also there's a level of just imagination and like crazy energy energy to the fact that like yeah you know what if this guy all of a sudden a bunch of air like hundreds of arrows just shot out of some grass for no reason and they were like yeah. wow that was fucking weird or you know yeah yeah there's a lot of um what i like too is that it's not a there isn't a lot of moments where the characters are just you know openly giving the exposition which we do see quite a bit with the sword and the sorcerer if anything they unpurposely don't say anything and it becomes kind of confusing but i do like that element of it um, but there's some cool visuals like you just saw her um, kind of masturbating with the with the snake. And then um, right after that, you have the scene where Ilya saves the girl from the snake that's approaching her. And still within like true Fulci fashion, I love that he's still constantly accenting the brutality of the world where even the snake gets a close up and like an arrow through his head and and there's gore involved in it and everything like that. Like he just he never strays away when a life is being taken. But um, I do like that that those well, two there's like dozens of mo- kind of connect in a way. 
there's like dozens of movies that I love that are like slow burn horror where there's like there's movies that I love that have like, you know, 80 minutes before anything kind of uh, visceral happens. And sometimes that's like mm-hmm. really appealing. And there's an interesting thing, though, like when Fulci will make a movie where it's sort of like he would almost have something happen even before the movie started, if possible. It's like, you know, he would like open almost like <laughs> yeah. in the middle of something more fucked up than any movie ever seen. And then you think, all right, well, this movie's going to settle down, you know. And then eight minutes later, there's this unbelievably fucked up, weird image that you've never seen before. And he almost it almost feels right. like you just never can really relax in a way like you can. But it's like every like there'll be mm-hmm. scenes where like guys are just sitting there and talking and you think, well, now they're really going to bro out and like they're going to go to sleep and you're going to cut to the next day. But like they don't even get to go to sleep because then like suddenly people are attacking him. Like there's just always this kind of yeah. intrusion of stuff where it's like he's not afraid to constantly make threats everywhere. Like the story, like there, it never even has time to kind of get into normalcy it's like he's just it's like he doesn't even know how to yep. make it that way no yeah, yeah. like like you're, you're you're having the scene where Ilias is like first arriving in this land and he's exploring it and you know he he has no idea he's obviously being hunted down and just like suddenly uh, a, a normal scene of him like becoming acquainted with the land and then he's nearly being drowned and killed and like in slow motion and flailing through the stream while all of these creatures are trying to you know murder him and then he'll throw in another element where now there's a long-haired like nomadic bandit named Mace uh, who shows up in the film and comes to his rescue and like defeats them with like animal bone nunchucks or something. Oh, and there's yeah, like sl- slow-mo firing various of the fucking like, uh, you know, like werewolf dudes like into the air or, or, or I, the, I don't know. I have no idea what they are. There's some strange style to the fighting too. Like I was saying with the sword and the sorcerer, there's a little bit of like body slamming and, and people just getting tossed into things like this one has that, but he has this weird thing where he has, like people do this exaggerated slow-mo jump over someone where they do like a full body jump over somebody. Uh, and he's constantly having people attack from the top so he can have this, like, um, it's like someone's pouncing on them constantly. The amount of times that I was typing in they're ambushed was just insane because it's like you said it it, uh the moment it stops it starts again like you you really you're about to take a breath and then boom they're ambushed well yeah (laughs) because so so many like a normal filmmaker would be like this is a buddy movie this is about an ancient warrior who meets like a kind of like more sort of like uh indifferent and kind of like uh realistic like warrior who is is self-interested he's a survivalist and he's one you know he's one with the land he's one with the animals and he ignores battles of good and evil because you know like that just doesn't make sense from a survivalist standpoint to get involved in that kind of stuff and he spends most of the movie telling him to avoid the witch don't deal with the witch whatever just come hang with me i hang out with tribal people and i kill hunters for their food and you know like and he's trying to get him involved and and like that's a classic you know two warrior fantasy buddy movie but every single time it's like they're gonna sit down and beside a fire in this like beautiful landscape shot or they're gonna like eat something or they're gonna hang out with like this young like tribal cave girl mm-hmm. uh every single time it, it feels like it's gonna settle into a hangout moment it's just like no all of a sudden their cave is on fire or all of a sudden uh all the these fucking werewolf dudes are like repelling from the top of the cave like they're coming down from like a helicopter or something and there's like a crazy <laughs> zoom on 
the light coming from the cave as they're being uh, captured and the people around them are just being murdered um, le- le- left and right. And I think he get I think Ilias gets kidnapped right at one point and Mace is the one who has to wake up from like an unconscious daze and he's just surrounded by the corpses of the entire tribal family. We didn't even yeah. learn their names or learn much about them. We were, you know, we were just, you know, and immediately yeah, he's just like, this is an unnatural evil that is disrupting basic scenes. And you're like, no, 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 yeah. this, these people need to be fucking dealt with because they're a problem. Yeah, the, <laughs> And that's how they get that across. <laughs> it's wild. There's like, there's no side characters if you took because it, the, the film just doesn't allow them to be alive for more than three minutes. Like you think you're going to get to know maybe one of these, these cave women or something like that, or Ilias is going to form some type of relationship, but it's no like, Nope. Three minutes later, they're slaughtered and they have to move on to the next thing. Um, and like, I can't even really think if you of took a shot every time characters oh, yeah. in this. If you took a shot every time somebody like there was a threat, you would be dead watching this movie. Um, and it feels like the payoff for <laughs> yeah. that speech in Avatar when he's like telling you about how dangerous Pandora is going to be. But like this movie never does that. Like if this was a normal movie, they'd hype it up by having someone be like, you're about to go to this world where like you're not going to go 30 seconds without running into conflict. There's going to be people jumping on you from every direction and snakes and people and naked women. And it's just but that's just what you're thrown into it in the same way <laughs> yeah. the character is like you're just you spend the whole time like him just being fucked like you're just totally screwed like the whole time time and it, it, that's why it has like a different energy because a lot of these is like there is no swashbuckling you know like it, it, there's no it's not just like an adventure movie it's just like a movie about people who are just in trouble constantly like and that's like such an interesting yeah. energy for it yeah it is truly like he was just sent from his family into Fulci's mind and they're like go survive <laughs> yeah but I mean it, but it <laughs> no, is, it like, is so there's it, this guy like, named Fulci <laughs> a dark sorcerer indeed yeah but there there is just like it it is connected so well yeah it's it's connected so well for me just by fulci's mood like the fact that this does have a consistent fever dream like ambiance to it like there is something just so psychedelic about the way that he shoots specific landscapes the really insane amount of like vibrant like psychedelic color filters that he will frequently apply to the thing that totally don't even make sense with some of the imagery sometime it just like looks insane out of nowhere Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, uh, the 600, uh, fog machines he had to have had on set and, yeah. and, and dry ice or whatever the fuck he's using to get Every like, like, shot. yeah, like it, it, it really does contribute to this ethereal kind of drugged out mood that the movie, um, has. And, and I did like the friend of the pod Meg described it as the movie was shot on a potato, a potato covered <laughs> in Vaseline, um, yeah. is, is, is kind of, and, and again, some people might criticize that or think that it, it, it looks cheap or something, but, but it's one of those movies that I thought that it was just like absolutely gorgeous. And the way Me that too. it start and the way that it's like cut into these fragments and done with these like long uh, zoom shots as as well and it's so committed to just like showing you a new insane thing every few minutes like a half faded like nightmare that you are having where there's a new type of creature or monster or a new sort of unique relationship to the land or a new you know and and it and like that that does really give it 
a strange maybe maybe you could say it's like a stopping and a starting energy but it's so much starting like just all the time where it's like now he's dealing with this now mace has to raid the camp and go save Ilyas a a second time but this time he's going to like punch a dude in the face so hard that his helmet breaks into his skull causing him to leak blood everywhere you know wrote that one down too that like that's that, that it's so it it, it's it reminded so good. me of and that um, blood gag in oh, it was one of the I think it's from the '60s. It was black and white, um, and it has it's she wears a mask that's spiked, and then the blood actually comes out of the holes. It reminded uh, black me of that. Sunday. Oh, I think that's what you're so. referring to. The Mario Mario yeah, Bob. Yeah, yeah, the Italians yeah, yeah. they love that uh, leaking blood everywhere from like oh, yeah. impalings or spikes or that kind of stuff. There uh, and then and then you cut from that to uh, the next scene where the the queen is is torturing one of her head guards because he's failed yes. and she just puts him on like a like insanely scorching hot table and just burns him They've alive. They've tried to capture him like two or three times and they keep failing and it, it, it is it does become funny after a while that she has to summon this like ancient warrior named Zora uh, who is yeah. this like black masked man born uh, from her, her wolf uh, during one of her masturbation sessions and I <laughs> this is a great connection between the two films films she swears that she will fuck him um if he yeah. manages to execute <laughs> execute Ilya. so as we, we we get so another we got, example of but but, a, but he's the bad guy you know yeah we've got fucking for motivation we have uh crucifixes uh, eventually yes and we have uh two awesome weapons so there, there's a lot of connects here which i like Yes. Although, once again, the irony being that by so viciously pursuing him, she is once again sort of sealing um, her fate. And he is slowly mm-hmm. learning about her and her sadistic rule due to the fact that every two seconds when he settles down to hang out, he's just attacked randomly by a bunch of in a bunch of surreal and grisly <laughs> uh, action set pieces. And, you know, and, and, and so he sl- slowly starts to go, you know, despite being warned of how powerful she is. He's like, I'm going to eliminate this unnatural um, evil. And he's and so Mace kind of agrees to help lead him to her, if not like join completely in on the fight, which mm-hmm. results in a, a stretch of the movie that is absolutely fucking bonkers, um, <laughs> which starts, I believe, with Ilias going to shoot a bird. And instead, Mace tells him to observe the strange formation of the like the land is talking to us. The animals are talking to us. Listen to the wind. And there's something wrong and unsettled. All of a sudden, arrows are flying out of the bushes at them, narrowly killing them, one of which strikes Ilias. And gives him this brown, like pus, like leaking poisonous boil. And I, I will say it's genius for twice in this film for them to throw in like a hallucinatory reason that the characters might also be in like a, a strange mindset. So like yeah. having the the witch uh, turn the skull into drugs or having um, Ilias get get poisoned and, you know, be having some sort of like literal fever dream that he's having there but it it, but it kicks off a series of events that you've seen in fantasy films where like a character is poisoned and he has to you know the one guy has to paddle down this like vast misty stream for the magic plant cure that exists you know elsewhere so he has a mission he needs to go get the plant and he needs to bring it back and heal him and do all this it's like classic in terms of scripting great little sort of like fantasy storytelling mission set piece 
ready to go, but it's Fulci. So it's not just as simple as, well, he goes and he finds the plant and maybe he fights a guy. It's like, no, what if the plant is in a foggy bog filled with fucking <laughs> zombies, zombies that come yeah. out of the moonlit water and look straight out of like zombie flesh eaters? Like what an incredible yeah. sequence of him having to like impale them and like throw the shit at it's fucking he like he can't stop himself. He lit like Fulci literally is like, what, what would be cool? Fucking zombies. You know, yeah, he's exactly. getting this. <laughs> he's like, we'll just add a little bit more of, you know, we'll, we'll put some cobwebs on them and make them look a little bit more otherworldly. But essentially, they're just they rise from the water. They're incredibly slow. They groan. They they do the same walk that you've seen in zombie flesh eaters. It's just like he couldn't help himself. And, I, and they I, have I disgusting insides. So when you actually kill them, you're repulsed by just like the things leaking out of them and what yeah. that must smell like to the characters. And like, you're like, Ugh. that's the thing. <laughs> too he always has like a, a little detail about every different creature being killed like later on um they're the people that try to uh it's, it kidnap i think Ilias, and they have like cobwebs all over them and um eventually when they're hit with one of the arrows they just start oozing green blood and it, it almost it's yeah like smoking, no, th those so are the ones like that try pot. to kidnap mace actually after oh, right. the zombie um yep. set piece because because he does the zombie set piece then he has a delirious battle with a doppelganger like mirror image double of himself which oh, is yeah. zora hmm. disguised as him which is like oh, classic so. fantasy shit and then he Mace gets kidnapped by the cobweb like beach guys with like robot voices. I wasn't exactly sure what these guys were supposed to be. <laughs> Are those the guys? Do the guys who have cobwebs on them? And then their nets look like cobweb. That is like one of my favorite. Yeah. Right. Where like the, the guys are like, there's like yeah. a bunch of guys. It's like they're covered in cobwebs and then they have a cobweb like net that they're throwing on him. And it just, he never like, you know, sometimes you watch a movie and it's like all the antagonists, like all the goons look like the same thing. Like this movie does not have that problem at all. I was going to just say the look of this movie. I just can't get over it to me that it's just exactly right. Like, I just don't understand how it could be a negative thing, because to me, it just embraces the fact that this is not real. Like all the visual choices that he made mm -hmm. makes this feel so removed from reality, which is why I love all of it, because like the second this would start to feel like uh, like, you know, like when they're fighting on a desert planet on an episode of Star Trek or something like the second you would start to feel the reality of what they're shooting, it just falls apart. And and I just love that the entire thing just has this hazy dreamlike nightmare vibe to it. Like every element yeah, of it just totally. adds up to just one like freakish thing. Well, yeah, and, and, and that's what's so cool about how Fulci strings these sequences together. Like, they do just blend into each other in a way where, like, you can sort of track the narrative logic of it if you if yeah. it was, like, slowed down and there was some talky scenes in between them. But he doesn't do that, and he instead just goes, no, one set piece is another set piece is another set piece, and they just bleed into one another and become one long thing. Like, the poisonous, like, arrow body horror boils turn into the swamp zombie impalings, in like 60 seconds and then 60 mm -hmm. seconds later it's the doppelganger battle and then 60 seconds later he's being crucified by like spider web people who trapped him in a net um yeah. who then push then, him into the water and he needs to get saved by dolphins yeah the the falling like where it looks like he's getting crucified in the same way and then he gets knocked off a cliff while he's on it is either an insane stunt or I'm just too stupid to realize it was a dummy. Like just when that thing falls off the cliff that he's attached to, 
you're just like, how is this guy or the actor ever going to survive it or the stunt guy? And you would never guess that it was going to be a magic dolphin. (laughs) (laughs) I love it too. When it starts to like, at first it's just showing them kind of floating above him and everything, but then they start getting into the close-ups of the the dolphins actually biting on the rope and, and there's no rhyme or reason for it. It's just like, these are awesome, magical, very polite dolphins that will, that will save you. And I, I love that. Just another added element to the, to the world, but we just, there's no real explanation for it. And I also like, like when Ilias comes back to save Mace, um, again, we don't, you know, the, the whole brotherhood thing of like them, uh, uh, understanding each other and fighting for each other develops, but there's none of that, you know, around the campfire thing. It's literally just them saving each other's lives. And that's pretty much how they express it. So even that is physical. Um, and most yeah. of the storytelling in this is that way. Uh, very yeah, and, blunt and, 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 and physical. And, and, and it- and it's just a character helping another character because after he heals Ilias, that's when he like decides he's going to he's going to leave. He's like, yeah, this world is kind of weird and fucked up. I'm going to go back to my like paradise world, by the way. Do you want to come with me? Because we're kind of like homies now. He's like, no, uh, I got to stay here because I'm you know, I'm I believe in being part of my world and, and my land and having a connection to it. And then he's like, well, how about you take like my really super sick laser beam bow and arrow? You know, he's like, mm-hmm. nah, it's I, I don't really believe in that shit either. So he's like, all right. So they part their ways. And that's when he has to come back and, and save him and help the dolphins stop him from being crucified underwater by the spider web <laughs> people, um, which is just beautiful. an insane sentence. You know, it's just it's, <laughs> it's it, a it, beautiful it, and, thing. Yep, and then they get into briefly a fight with like subterranean blue monsters with like glowing red eyes and 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 claws that like you can't even see and it reminded me of that horror of like the really really deep water, you know, when like like mm-hmm. in 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 the ocean when there's you know characters who are or you know uh, characters fish who are just like so used to like living in just like complete darkness and in the unknown like that or and and the, the monster almost like the the shot of it is so dark that it's almost like uh, the 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 shots with in in Uncle Boon Me or something <laughs> when you're just seeing the glowing red eyes looking through and stuff and attacking them, and it's one of those things too where you know like they're in a, a there's a new type of monster and they're hanging out in there, um, and then uh, he is Ilias is found strung up upside down by Mace already killed and decapitated. Yeah off screen which is the just like hero. another like oh shit like what a, mo- a movie can't do that he's the main hero like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. it's crazy the gods sent him i've on seen this, this so this, many times journey and he doesn't get resurrected like there there's i've never i've seen mm-hmm. this so many times and i keep expecting something else to happen it just feels so like it's just breaking any kind of story rules where that's just the thing. It's like the nihilism of it. It's like you like the whole time you're like, yeah, yeah, this is all bad. But the hero kind of journey thing is by the end, he'll be OK. And like he survives these struggles. But it's like, no, this is just misery for him the entire time. And then it ends in the worst way possible. It's and it's so visceral every yeah. time I watch it where I'm still like, can't believe they went this hard on it. Yeah, they just got rid of the there's no hero death at all it's just pure like like you said it's just blunt it's just he's he's gone now 
Um, he's off screen and, and now Zora is taking the decapitated head of this like young and dangerous wanderer that the witch was so afraid of and and and, and takes it to her and, and she literally takes the head and is like I'm going to devour his tower of secrets and he's prepping to like stab his skull and like cannibalize his head I guess but his stole his soul is still out there you know so his yes. eyes open up and she's all freaked out which immediately cross cuts over to an insane sequence which is mace uh, giving him a funeral like a warrior's funeral like on the pyre and melting and we're literally seeing his corpse melt and char like mm-hmm. c- while while like a fucking electric guitar riff is just ripping <laughs> and and the charred corpse of uh, and and the ashes are speaking to him and they're passing on the mission and the power and going like you know and he starts wearing mace literally starts putting uh Ilias's ashes from his corpse on his skin yeah. uh and and like re- he's talking the about revenge in the voiceover it's like it's it's just it's pure like metal fantasy stuff oh, yeah. going especially on especially when you get to the shots of him like on top of the mountain and he just force pulls the the bow and arrow into his hand starts just ripping arrow like these laser arrows 12 at a time killing every single werewolf person like it's it's literally the most metal thing i think i've i've ever seen it's it's very very awesome the only movie that this actually weirdly connects for me is it has to live and die in la or the this or the two movies where they have just the most like non-sentimental brutal murdering of the guy who you thought was supposed to be the lead. And then that that's like the thing yeah, with, still, with, a, with a real left, this, but it's all, <laughs> it's like the one thing that to live in uh, die in LA did wrong is that, uh, the guy then should have like put the ashes of, uh, him on top of him before the finale. <laughs> like that's really what he should have done. I think put that should be the general the action. Is if the lead character dies, you have to, you have to use his ashes in some way as part of your revenge. Yeah. The, uh, William Peterson should have been worn like a skin suit, uh, during yes. the final set piece. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> no. <laughs> Total agreement. <laughs> I also that would really be like fulgy. the detail that uh. he's like so determined uh, at a certain point to 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 kill her that the the queen that he like he does the last arrow through the mountain he can't even see her but he's just like he's so guided by Ilias and the and the spirit it's um yes. it's a really cool detail and of course the the very fulci reveal of cause this whole time she's been wearing this um this gold mask and so you can't see her face it's only just her pretty much her naked body and then the gold mask and it just gets smashed to pieces and it reveals the ugly zombie that's within. And that's I, like I rotting love, skeleton ghoul yeah, that's just and, hiding and to, under it. And, 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 and I love that it zooms in on it and the ghoul like screams and just seeing like camera. a like a zombie head on top of like a beautiful like naked body. Like, it's such a crazy like contradiction. And it, and it feels uh, an like image. such a classic horror move to have her actually run to the camera and scream into the camera as that reveal is happening. Um, it's, yeah, uh, while he's drenched yeah. in like blood red lighting and fog at like the end of like the sort of like mm-hmm. temple hall, basically. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I love all the visuals here. Yeah, it's it, it's great imagery. And I also love his line uh, where because they, they don't really address this much, but there is meant to be like this like false prophet thing that's kind of thrown around, obviously, throughout the um, film that's in the background. There's the section where like 
I think it's Ilias tells the uh, werewolf guys, he's like, no one can control the sun. Like, why are you following this person if you think that she can control this, like, elemental thing? You're like, mm-hmm. you know, it's more powerful than than any of us. That doesn't make any sense. And so this also climaxes with Mace being like, I'm going to show everyone today that the sun will rise without you, Okron. You know, yeah. that's his like that's his like metal line that he gets where he's like, you know, I'm going to I'm going to prove that you are not like an actual supernatural, you know, God. And I'm going to reveal that you are actually a rotting skeleton atop a a, <laughs> a beautiful body. And then that's I'm going right. to exp- I'm going to explode it and turn it into a wolf. Um, <laughs> uh, that, uh, that's right. Damn straight. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming together. You know? You know, there, there, there is a certain level of just like inscrutability and incomprehensibility yeah. uh, to realm be- rules, not things that we can understand. Yeah. Which are, but but it, uh, part of the pleasure of the movie is I think you just you really do have to just go along with that. Like he's not yeah, inter- totally. like 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 if this was just done in the same stale way, the other movies you've seen, like, you know, y- you, you could get all of these exact same plot beats and you could do them in the very literal minded kind of Conan way, you know? Yeah. And and, 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 like and that can also end. be done well. But there's something about being like the 88 minute version where you're just experiencing it in the most just like pure experimental way. sensation way possible where it, yeah. it, 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 you know, and that's what this movie is, which is, you know, why, why you're able to loosely follow it. Yeah. And even like at the end when you have, um, you know, Mace takes on kind of Ilias's spirit in, in, in a way, um, he is having a character arc in which he was kind of apathetic to the evil of the world as long as he didn't have to deal with it. And he journeys on to become the the hero that Ilias was supposed to be. So, yeah, but, he it, learns but, you know, there's shit. no scene where it just has to outwardly say that it's just it, you're just yeah. seeing a bunch of crazy ambushes and different creatures and stuff. And it eventually gets there. And I do really love that, that it's more of a it's just more of a feeling than than just outright spoken to you. Yeah, so it's, it's I, great. I, I do mean, like that Fulci does explicitly state, movies. though, after that set piece, that any reference to persons or events is purely coincidental, by the way. <laughs> I was just really concerned watching the movie well, that wanna... this was based on something. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing, problem about the movie is it does feel like it's based on something that none of us know about from a nightmare realm that if we went to, this would be normal. <laughs> but the, the, one of the things I do really love about this movie is that so many of these movies like pander to the viewer like, oh, you are Luke Skywalker. You are this guy like the audience surrogate character mm-hmm. is you and you're rewarded for like going on that journey. And then this movie just kills him. And then this guy who didn't even want to be the hero, like the second he decides to be one, he's like the most badass guy of all time. Like the second he's like, you know what? I'm going to like <laughs> be proactive and go after these bad guys. And he kills like everybody in 30 seconds. So like it undercuts any of that kind of wish fulfillment element of the movie. It's just the it doesn't follow any of those kind of traditional satisfying story catharsis things. It just, it feels like you took a vacation in the worst place possible. And then some other guy, you know, he (laughs) survived and you didn't. (laughs) Totally. What a strange movie. So good though. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we're if we're pivoting towards a reductive rating round, this was a very, very solid uh, four for me on on first watch. And I, I felt like I kind of grooved with it more as it even just went along. So I'm excited yeah. to kind of re, re revisit this one. But as far as like the original pitch of I looked at the poster, I looked at who made it and I went, OK, so this it's Excalibur or Conan and it's sword and sorcery fantasy storytelling. And it, it is all there. There's a lot of basic you know, if you're if you're looking for a movie about a, 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 a muscly warrior who uses a magic sword to kill an evil witch who is sadistically, you know, oppressing a, 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 a mystical land like that's all in this movie. If you want to see him go on an episodic Clash of the Titans style journey where he fights a bunch of various uh, monsters and creatures uh, who, who pop up along the way, it's all in this movie. But it's all done in an like, despite the fact this is a four higher movie and a trend chasing movie, it's through and through. It's a Lucio Fulci movie, unmistakably. Yeah. Ten, ten minutes yeah. in, I'm like, this is this is trippy. This is disgusting. This is nightmarish <laughs> in all the ways that Lucio Fulci specifically was, whether it's the oozing levels of the wounds whether it's the pure sort of like half faded nonsense way that the character or the world operates that you both can't totally understand but you're also so impressed you can't believe what you're watching uh and, and and it's so strange and it doesn't make sense but it's still tangible and it's still fleshy mm -hmm. and it's still grounded in some kind of um aspect that you are disturbed by all of that is is here and it's you know crucifixions being prevented by fucking dolphins fucking swamp zombies uh fucking you know uh ghouls with uh, uh with with naked sexy naked lady bodies who masturbate with snakes and do drugs with decapitated heads like there's so much in here that you know we we've, we've already covered and it's so so insane and i and it's all done in like 88 minutes and it's done in just this completely eccentric and surreal sort of psychotronic synth drone style that I just I really can't wait to uh, to uh, experience again. This feels like something that I would literally just like throw on in the background for like mood. Um, oh yeah, and and it's and but but also you know I want to warn people it is gross and perverse and filled with tons of bad taste imagination and I understand why maybe some people would be uh, turned off by some elements of it. But uh, <laughs> you know you shouldn't be listening to this show uh, if that's the case. This is that's uh, right. pure like 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 acid alchemy fantasy, and I was like totally here for it. I I really loved it. I was going to say, I, I was literally watching this once while I was cleaning my place and a friend was like coming over to pick up something and they never heard of it. And this is just a movie that every once in a while I'll just throw on in the background while I'm doing things. And I just remember someone walking in and being like, what in the living fuck are you watching? And I'm like, I don't know. How to to you. <laughs> like I realize this is the kind of person who's never even seen any sort of Fulci movie. So like any context to explain this movie requires like 14 other contexts. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's just like, well, so it's like this type of movie, but it's also this director. So it's this approach, but then it's, it's like, and none of those references mean anything to you. I'm like, it's just this weird movie. I like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> uh, it's, it's awesome, but I'm sorry. I, I don't, I don't know how to tell you why it. I like it. It's either for you or it's not. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, it is. It's, it's incredibly unique. I mean, I've, I've truly never seen anything like this. Um, and it is funny because, you know, narratively speaking, we've obviously seen stuff like this, but it's just, once you start watching it, like you said, Josh, it is a, it's pure Fulci through and through. 
Um, and I just absolutely love that about it from the, from the beginning where he's doing these weird fades and, uh, reverbs and echoes on their voices of explaining that they're about to go into a completely different realm, even though you feel like you're already in a different realm to the introduction of the queen, you know, just doing drugs by decapitating and eating heads and having sex with snakes. And, um, just every single gore gag is, is unbelievably, uh, different and unique, uh, but just true Fulci and, and so aggressively grotesque. Um, I just love it. I love everything that this guy does, or at least from what I've seen. Um, and yeah, like shout out to like uh, PD187, uh, who's a letterbox reviewer, because it's right. It, it truly feels like it's being transmitted from another dimensional plane. Um, this is unlike anything I've seen. It's uh, like the story makes sense beat by beat, but he doesn't care to explain the logic of the realm that you're in. And I just, I absolutely love that. He's just like, this is the world. Now live in it or don't. Um, and it's it's great. So yeah, four out of five for now, but I don't know, it could it could get there. It could get to that, that five level. It's just such a, I could vibe out to this thing over and over again, so. I mean, obviously for me, it's a five out of five because, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I picked it. Uh, it for, but for me, there's a couple things about this. Very simply, I really wish all of my favorite directors who have like very specific approaches um, would try every genre once, like even if it doesn't work. Mm. And in this case, it really does. Um, there, there's something really exciting about someone who has kind of their own approach and skill sets and like the things that they gravitate towards applying it to a genre that's like seemingly disparate from what they normally do. Um, but without like losing anything that makes them idiosyncratic, you know, like there's never a moment of this that feels compromised, even though it's a four higher thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, it's like, I kind of wish all of our favorite guys did a fantasy movie and they did a Western movie and they did a slasher and they did like a paranoid thriller. Like I just, it's really fun to see someone like apply their approach to something. And also just the way I usually describe this movie is it like, have you ever like had a really bad nightmare and you're trying to explain it to somebody, but it doesn't make really any sense as you start like saying it out loud. Um, and that's kind of what this movie feels like to me. It has that sort of cascading, like nightmarish thing where your brain just keeps pulling you into a worse situation that is kind of indescribable, but it it's executed and it's real. Like, I just honestly can't believe this movie is real. Like the amount of imagination (laughs) and the fact that it never feels stale. It's just like, I can't believe it exists. And it also, the fact that it was a for hire thing will baffle me forever. Yeah, this feels like that that quintessential um, vision of of that that heavy metal sci fi fantasy thing. I think this is just probably my favorite version of that. Well, I think that that is going to wrap it up for conquest and wrap it up for this week's uh, crazy, gory, surreal fantasy episode on the sword and the sorcerer from 1982 and conquest from 1983 thanks so much uh ben david for for joining us and for bringing uh these these films with you if you've yeah. uh, got anything to plug while you're here this is usually where we have you do that i think you got a big thing to plug i mean i, I don't really have anything to plug i mean i scott pilgrims out there if you want to watch it um and uh 
if you want to watch a good it's horror on Netflix, show you should watch it. Tell them to watch not, it. What are you doing, man? Come on. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I assume that, you know, <laughs> most people who watch it are going to have already seen it. But if you haven't, uh, feel free to check it out. It's more normal than this, but just barely. Um, also, if you haven't seen, I mean, already afraid of the dark show. So if you ever want something that's for 10 year olds, but oh, is cool. a good horror vibe, that's on Paramount Plus. And then I made a movie happily that's on VOD. But uh, mostly I just think I should plug Conquest because you should watch it. Even if you regret watching it, you <laughs> still should have done it. So Hell yeah. that's it. Yeah. Who 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 owns it? 4K it. Uh, show Factory yes. has it. Yeah. Come on, Show Factory. What are we doing? We here? need it. Oh, no. no go ahead. I, I was going to say that I wish someone who is making a new kind of low budget genre movie would try to approximate this level of kind of hazy, soft magic i think that we've sort of reached a mm. world where a lot of these movies do feel like we just see way too much and everything we're so we can tell exactly what material yeah. everything is made out of and exactly what's real and what's fake and if mm-hmm. some scientist out there can figure out a way to kind of flatten that all out where I don't know if I'm looking at a real skeleton or a fake skeleton or cardboard or cement, I think that's the real magic that a lot of these things are missing for me. I'd love to see someone try to pull that off. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I feel like fantasy does have that kind of like this. Um, I don't know if the term would be uncanny valley element, but you just it, there's no more escapism to it I, I do kind of see like the material of each clothing and everything it feels too clean i agree yeah well for our listeners we are going to be back in one week's time where as jamie alluded to at the top of the show we are going to be going samurai mode but we're going to be going modern criminal samurai mode we're going to be talking about jean-pierre melville's le samurai from 1967 as well as Jim Jarmusch's Ghost Dog The Way of the Samurai from 1999. This was your guys' bonus uh, Patreon voted double feature that you wanted to hear us talk about. So that is what we are going to be talking about over on the Patreon feed next week. And then in two weeks time, we are actually going uh, Street Fighter mode, but not video game Street Fighter mode. We are going, uh, it is It is the 50th anniversary, actually, 1974, of two uh, very, very uh, big martial arts movies. One, many uh, people will know as uh, The Street Fighter. Hell yeah. Starring uh, Sonny Chiba, which I'm very excited to talk about because it has one of my all time favorite uh, movie kill moments, uh, which is Sonny (laughs) Chiba uh, punching a dude so hard in the top of his head that we get an X-ray vision shot of the dude's skull like breaking, Um, which I can't wait to talk Uh. about. So we're going to be talking about that and we're going to be pairing it with Sister Street Fighter, which also came out in 1974, but I haven't seen um, yeah, me neither. But I but I do know is directed by the guy who directed Wolf Guy, also starring Sonny Chiba, which is <laughs> obviously just one of the best Sonny Chiba movies and an insane sort of like genre bender movie. So either way, we are going Street Fighter and Sister Street Fighter mode in two weeks time with a special guest over on the main feed. So look forward to that. Awesome. That'll be fun. Yeah. But that being said, that wraps it up for everything this week. Thanks so much for listening and keep it easy. Keep it sleazy, everybody.